Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by the 2017 URM Summit, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests, including Andrew Wade, Kane Churko, Billy Decker, Fluff, Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. And now your host, A.L. Levy. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. Uh, I am A.L. Levy, and with me is Mr. Sam Pura, founder and chief audio engineer at the Panda Studios, which he started in... Uh, 2003, and if you don't know who he is, you should know who he is. Uh, he's worked with bands like The Story So Far, 100th Basement, The American Scene, and tons of other awesome bands, and he's really, really well known for being just one of the best uh, punk producers out there, and what lots of people love about his style is that it sounds modern and up-to-date, yet still natural and sounds like uh, real people playing He's also done some other things, like created The Waiting Room TV, which is a series that he's hosted at the Panda Studios. Um, you can watch them via the YouTube account. Uh, and basically, it's live in-studio performances with bands like Stray From The Path, Stick To Your Guns, Citizen, Code Orange, Balance and Composure, and lots of other ones. And he's also got the Best Friends with Sampura podcast, which is actually really entertaining so you should check it out did i miss anything that that's it except it's pura pura there you I'm go sorry no it's totally fine man <laughs> so, dude people got my name wrong well, I mean, all the yeah, time it, it reads as pure so it's just like uh uh everyone but then immediately everyone like thinks it's spanish or something like that so then they go pura <laughs> and then that's, well, all my all my substitute teachers in school always would go when they would like you know do the attendance they would go is samuel pura here <laughs> that's what i thought i'm I'm uh, half Mexican. That's funny. So my my I actually learned Spanish before English. So it's kind of like my first instinct is to read a word like that and yeah. think Spanish pura. Yeah, yeah and also Sam that pura. it's pura vida and it's not pura vida. You know what I mean? So like it's it, yeah. People just I completely understand. No worries. So pura. There it is, man. Now I'm gonna have to rethink everything. There you go. My, whole, my, my whole life is uh, my whole life is well, my question. I appreciate that very generous intro there. You, it was nice to hear all that history. It's all true though, right? I mean, it's all true. Yeah, we're just reporting the facts. Yep, exactly. So, how are you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. What's what's been up? What's the latest and greatest in your life? How are you? I am solid. Thank you for asking. Um, so I got. I got married. Congratulations. Thank you. That was in uh, July. And then um, I just came back from my honeymoon like about a month ago now. And uh, Have you been honeymooning since July? Uh, honeymooning, we started in September. So okay. it was all the month of September. And uh, basically like all the month of July was like dedicated to the wedding as well. And uh, um, Where did you go? So we uh, we got married at a place called Sonora which is like a gold country area um, in California. Yeah. Really cool fucking place where we stayed on the property and stuff. And then after that, we went to uh, Yosemite, which I don't know if you've ever been to Yosemite. It's pretty much it's the most beautiful gorgeous. place in the world. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And uh, um, then like a, a few weeks later, that's when we went on the honeymoon and uh, went to Spain, specifically the region of Catalonia, which is a fucking beautiful place. Uh, really awesome art, really awesome wine, really good food. 
uh, did a little bit of time in France, uh, drove around up there, had some wine, had some food, everything was great. And uh, yeah, that was kind of uh, the gist of my whole Spain trip. Uh, Barcelona is the shit as well. What what made you want to go there? Uh, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm just curious why yeah. you chose. It's funny because uh, it was because we we had to choose a date for the wedding, and so the venue that we wanted was like the uh, it was like oh well we have availability in July. We're like all right, we're getting married in July, and then it was like okay, so then we're gonna go on our honeymoon. Where would where should we go? And so my wife is like really into tropical places, but like that's all like not in season at the time and stuff like that. So she was like, let's go to a place where it's going to be perfect for the season. And so it was specifically Spain and like the Southern like part of France that were like the fucking peak hours and they were badass. That part of the world is just like, I call it Perfectville. There's a few Perfectvilles. Like I feel like Southern California is Perfectville. Um, I feel like Spain, south of France, and the Mediterranean are Perfectville. Yeah. It's just Perfectville. Everything there is perfect. Yeah, it's uh, they it's they take a lot of pride in very simple work, which is pretty inspiring. Uh, they're all just really nice people. Uh, all the I mean, all the mom and pop shops, lack of like corporations and stuff like that is like really cool, you know. Speaking of taking a lot of pride in simple work, don't you wish that uh? That was a more common thing among audio engineers. Yeah, absolutely. I um, one of the funny things is is like what everyone forgets is that they're always like, uh, when you just start off, you want to fucking immediately like be awesome, right? But like in order to get there, you just got to try, try, try again. You know what I mean? So like, uh, you it's like the simple rewards of like satisfaction are are what it's all about. You know what I mean? Whereas everyone else like thinks that there's a different destination. You know what I mean? That you're supposed to reach. It's like no, it's it's the process of reaching the destination. You know what I mean? That is the, the fun part. Well, the thing is that I've noticed that whenever I achieve goals or get to destinations, it doesn't change the way you feel. Like you're still, it's still you inside of your head. It's like the same, the same person who made those goals and was looking to the future is the one who arrived in the future at the goal. And so that same mindset that had you looking towards something else still has you looking towards something else. So when you achieve a goal, it's not like suddenly you've arrived. What happens when you get to a goal is you see the next goal and the one after that and the one after that. So if, uh, if you don't learn to enjoy the process, it can be very psychologically traumatic because you'll feel like you're never accomplish anything ever, which is weird, which is not always true. I mean, you could be accomplishing a lot, but, uh, it won't feel like that unless you enjoy the process. Absolutely. You gotta, you gotta go through the struggle to feel the satisfaction of the reward. So have you always loved the struggle? Um, I guess I've had to learn to love it. You know what I mean? Uh, like it's, it's funny. Cause like, like even just doing shit, like having, uh, um, having Tyler around who, you know, through the URM stuff, um, Tyler Rodriguez from URM yeah, shout out. Yeah, exactly. He's been helping me out. He's a great guy. But uh, like showing them all like the fucking, you know, patch bays and lines and everything that I have here. It's like, man, I do have like all of this dialed down so perfectly. You know what I mean? Like I kind of like kind of blow myself away sometimes with like how how much work I've put into making things so smooth and awesome here. You know what I mean? And so it's just like uh, every day that I come in, it's all about like the little small subtle details that just like add up to make such a fucking badass end result. You know what I mean? It's, and, and it's 
it's like when you watch like dudes write songs and stuff like that, you're like, fuck man, how the fuck did they make that? Like, that's so sick. Then you start to layer it, like strip it down. And it's like, actually it's really fucking simple. And it just took hours and days and fucking months to achieve the end result. You know what I mean? Well, it's one of those things where because you're in it every day, you don't realize, you know, you don't realize how many little details went into like, you know, on the topic of running a studio that you built from the ground up and yep. completely wired and learned every piece. Like, you know, there was a time period when you did not understand patch base. And so you learned Dude, patch base yeah. and there was a time when probably you were still learning them where they gave you a total headache yep. and you wanted to probably throw them across the room. And, you know, now with me and patch base, I can kind of figure it out in my head, yep. like what I want to do with a patch bay, but it wasn't like that at the beginning. And they used to scare the shit out of me. And I can think of lots of other topics that used to be that way too. Like I remember, you know, something simple like the IO in pro tools. Oh, when yeah. I first started using pro tools, the IO menu used to stress me out like and I didn't really understand how it really interfaced with like a bigger room and inserts and all this stuff and then you know now I have now various IO setups and templates are just in my head yeah like, absolutely I know it all by heart it's I don't even think about it that's the funny thing is like all that shit is just like that's the shit that I like love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, the annoying ass shit like that, that like people find tedious because like they're like maybe a songwriter who's just like trying to get a, an idea out of their head and like onto the computer real quick. You know what I mean? Like, but it's like, I know all the ins and outs of those things like so perfectly that like, it's just like, Oh, you want to fucking like want to record a drum set? Got it. I have all my 16 channels ready to go. Like, Oh, we need to do this. Well then we'll just do the one channel here and let me fucking patch that in through this. You know what I mean? Like signal flow is so fucking goddamn important and no one really uh, appreciates it until like you actually fucking start making a bunch of fucking records and have to fucking start acting quick. You know what I mean? That's like the console thing too. Is like looking at a console and just being like, I, mean, I remember the first time I went to school and I saw a fucking console and I was just like, oh my god, like this is gonna be <laughs> fucking intense. But then you just realize it's just one thing duplicated hundreds of times, you know. And uh, once you get the theory down of, of the signal flow, it all fucking, it just like it opens, it makes the whole th like thing just natural. Like I, it's not even about like troubleshooting anymore. It's all just about like plugging and playing for me. You know what I mean? Like everything is just so dialed. Has it become kind of like? visualization pretty much like visualize like i don't know if visualization is the right word but like this really really great musician i used to know um this is why i say visualization he was a drummer um one of the best in the world um he used to like tour with like pop acts and do like jazz stuff and he's one of those guys like just superior and um and I asked him if he practices anymore. He says, I don't practice, I just visualize. And at first I thought he was being cocky, but then I started to understand what he meant, which is just you see it in your head and then you do it, or you hear it and then you do it. It's like, it kind of like that for you, kind of like you just, you you have the job in front of you and you just kind of know what how you have to configure the studio or yeah, absolutely. what you need to do it's almost instinctual at this point. Well, like I've I've gone through like the nerd process of trying every single uh op amp in my preamp, you know what I mean? And like doing and like trying different cables and like uh you know, mic shootouts and you know, different saturation stages and all that stuff of like, you know, like it's it's so complicated 
when I like think back to it, that it's just like, oh my God, how did I even fucking like, how did I, like, why did I spend a day like doing that? That's so, it seems so unnecessary. But it's like, uh, if I'm just like, oh, I'm about to record a drum set, like, I just know what I'm going to use. I have all my fucking gear ready to go. And that's where it's like, if I go to other studios, it always kind of sucks because, um, I'll have to lug my gear there because like they won't have they won't have like as as solid of a front end as I have, and then also their room isn't as badass as my room too. You know what I mean? So it's just like I have everything so fucking dialed. Like with the fact that I have I have a control room. Or, I mean, I have I have a live room, and then I have a ISO booth with like all my guitar cabs ready to go, and uh, I have like my other live room as well. I mean, I'm st- I'm currently in my other control room while like there's a band in my uh, west control room working on stuff. So it's just like. It's super flexible. Everything is just like dialed. Like when when band like it's I wouldn't call my studio a recording studio anymore. It's more so Sam Pierre's production facility. You know what I mean? Like it's just like everything is like dialed to be plug and play. Tell me more about that by the the plug and play nature of the whole thing. Well, I mean, uh, all my microphones are just always on the same stance, uh, ready to go. Um, like I have my drum set like dialed, tuned, uh, ready to fucking like rock on at any time. Uh, if I'm just like about to do a podcast, I have my SM50 or my SM7 that's ready on a fucking stand, like ready to go. You know what I mean? Like it's all just like all my tools like are specifically like set up to live in a space in the studio where I know how to access it like immediately. So I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do a podcast. Let me grab my podcast mic. Like, Oh, I'm going to record a drum set. Well, let me just fucking plug into these microphones that are right here. Like I'm going to record guitar. Well, let me just turn on my mic robot. It's ready to go. Like everything is just dialed at all times so that today, like I'm working on a project where we're about to do overdub vocals and we'll reamp guitars and all that stuff is, is just, they walked into the studio and it's all set up just ready to go. You know what I mean? So that like, there is no, just whatever the fuck we feel like doing, we'll just start doing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, when we tell people that they should use a mix template, we don't tell yep. them they should use a mix template in order to be able to give the same sound to, from one band to another. It's more for the kind of stuff you're talking about right there. Like all your routings, all the non-creative stuff, all the Absolutely. basics, like, yep. um, all the stuff that there's no reason to do over and over and over, you put it into a template so that you can get straight to actually mixing. Um, And it's almost like you put a template on your studio to where you don't have to deal with the, like why set up mics every single time if you can already have them set up for you? Like why, why plug stuff up um, every single time if you can just have it, always plugged into the same place exactly and like the only the only reason that like people tear down and do that shit is because like someone else is going to use the studio so they try to just like strike it and like let it go but like this is my fucking studio you know what i mean like i fucking do what the fuck i want here and if people are gonna like record like and other freelancers come in here all the time and use the studio but it's just like i i have all the mics like ready to go on the preamps just like oh great well then here's like this dedicated kick mic and here's this dedicated snare mic and here's these dedicated overhead mics and just use this and plug and play and like everyone is fucking stoked you know what i mean it's just like how it's just so simple like that. By the way, one thing I wanted to mention to you that always weirds people out when they, uh, like, like Tom Lord Algy, when I like had him mix a session for me recently, like he was just like, do you do all your songs in the same session? I'm just like, yeah. 
Like for every single project, I've always done every single song in the same session. And the reason why is like, you know, I have a template that has my fucking inputs ready to go. It has my preferred like track. So it's like if I'm recording, if I'm recording guitars and I'm stacking like fucking a bunch of doubles and stuff like that, I'll, I'll drag them under the tracks that they need to essentially like go into and we'll sum them so that they can fit into my template of 48 tracks. You know what I mean? So like I always have like my inputs ready to go. My fucking buses are ready to go. My tracks, like I treat it like my, my session is my tape machine and my console simultaneously. You know what I mean? Like left is the farthest end of the tape, like the starting point of the tape. Right is the end point of the tape that you can fuck around with. You know what I mean? Like it's all, uh, I, I think of it every single time over my session is that it's just like my tape machine and my console. So, you know, I think that there's lots of people who are smart people who um, do things like that or are starting. I think it's people are starting to understand that it really does help to to try to make things as efficient as possible. He totally. he was blown away that you do that. Yeah, well, the and uh, only because he's just like, wow, that's crazy. That like, and I think it was from a processing point. You know what I mean? Which a lot of people freak out about processing about it. But all and also like, I remember when I did a record in London, and I one thing I always do is I consolidate all my files to the same start and end point. You know, I clean all of my fucking uh, noises out of there. Like no, everything is fucking pristine. It's funny because like Tom Lord was like going through all of my consolidated files to make sure there was like no noise on every track. And he was just like, I'm like, dude, I've, I've cleaned them all. Like you honestly don't even have to do that. You could just use like a strip silence. It'll be fine. He was like, no, it's cool. Like, I just want to make sure. And he, but literally it was perfect. You know, it was pristine. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so good about my editing and my cleaning. So it's like, I'll just consolidate all the files so that if anything's missing, I can immediately just drag it in from another session and it will line up like completely perfectly, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but apparently like all that, all that space, that is in between the tracks that I'm consolidating is adding more fucking, you know, uh, RAM and adding more fucking, uh, file size and stuff like that. So not, I not get anymore, it. Not anymore. Not yeah. anymore. That's, uh, it, and I learned this recently. Um, That's the whole cool idea of processing older versions of Pro Tools or whatever, that is a true concern. But, um, now Pro Tools is intelligent enough to where it, uh, it stops, like it reduces your CPU load when there's silence Got it. in the tracks. Like it stops processing that. Well, that's fucking cool to know. Cause like, yeah. uh, another, another cool thing is like 32 bit float. Like, dude, I just, you just clip everything. You know what I mean? Like, cause there is no clipping. So you just like drive into everybody, like buses into buses and it's all ready to go to go. And like I can, and then if I, if I need to like nudge things around, I can look at it and it's like, I'm like 27 dB over the fucking clip threshold like that. It's like compensating for. So I'll fucking like turn it down and, you know, zero out my board correctly. Cause that's, that's the other thing too, is like, I have the Euphonics controller, which is just completely necessary to my entire life of like working with stuff. Like I have it, I have it set up with parallel buses and like parallel EQs and stuff like that, where it's like, if my kick like needs more top end, I'll just raise a fader. You know what I mean? As opposed to like pulling up the plugin and being like, oh, let me dial in like 8K at like three decibels. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I fucking hate that nerd shit. You know what I mean? Like I really like it to all just be like quick vibe. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, all these, all these like bigger mixers that I've always idolized and stuff. Like, I mean, like even like Tom Lord Algae, like, like when we were working at his studio, everything in a session like on his uh, console it just lines up the same every single way it's just like a a really complete 
like fluid uh, um, mastering like summing bus where like he can open any session and it will basically almost sound the same because he's using very little EQ if anything on the board very little like compression but it's all the same exact routing like his bass is always on the same channel you know his kick is always on the same channel like everything will fucking get summed out to come out on those exact same channels so he doesn't need to label them you know what I mean it's never different as and it shouldn't be and just all the all the really badass hybrid mixers that I've had on here and uh, all do the same thing which yep. is that just like that which is that the same channels are always used for the same thing um they're always plugged to the same inserts like it's just set up to just go so in a way it's like in a way it's kind of thinking of your console almost like a daw exactly uh, in a way. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like, uh, another thing that was like funny too, is like, I, I mean, I've sent out sessions to get next by other dudes before. And like, uh, they like are weirded out sometimes by the fact that it's like, Oh, you only have like a stereo room. It's like, yeah, I've summed all my mics. Like that's how I rock it. You know what I mean? Like I like work that way and I make these things perfect. So it's like, there's only like a stereo, uh, guitar track, a stereo, like lead overdub and then like a center guitar track like there's only three guitar tracks but there's actually it's actually five because there's on stereo interleaved files you know what i mean so they're on mm -hmm. one fader and like that's how i make things like as i want i want to basically go like between my 16 faders like if i if i bank all the way to my left it's like my master buses and like reverbs then if i bank to my right then it's all my 16 channels of drums that if i bank to my right it's my eight channels of guitar and bass and that's it. You know what I mean? Like I can, I know exactly where I am if I'm just looking at my board, you know? So what happens if you get something to mix and it comes in on like 140 tracks? I just start summing them down. Okay. Yep. I'll just, I'll put them in. Like, it's basically like, so say like, you know, you get, uh, fucking like all these, like, like vocals. A lot of times I always do overlapping things where it's like, you know, there's, there's four vocal tracks because, there's uh, a main and a double, but then it overlaps on top of each other. So then it's duplicated. And so then you have four tracks. So then I'll just fucking drag them underneath the sort like the um, input tracks that I want and I'll bust them that way and I'll just put it on input mode. And then I'll just, as I play the song, I'll just record all those things to, to stereo sums. You know what I mean? Or use the commit function in, in Pro Tools now, which is fucking great. And then I'll just basically- Can you believe they just waited till now to do that? Right. Yeah, it's so fucking stupid, but I mean, I fucking love it. And uh, so then I'll just hide and make an act of the old track so that if I ever need to fix the stem, I'll just do it. But I just start, I just start committing on the, uh, like in the beginning, you know what I mean? And it's like, I just, I, I, I have the sound in mind. I know what the fuck I'm going for. So I just, I'm going to fucking start like compressing and EQing on the way in. Like, I know my fucking speakers. I know what the fuck I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like this shit is all just like, it's the back of my hand now. You know what I mean? So like, it's all just like a fucking methodical complex thing that I don't even think about it anymore. I just come in and just some tweaking EQs and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like stupid shit like that because it's just, it's, it's how I, I, I get the tone right before it hits the computer, you know, very little plug-in usage, like plug-in usage is just like little, literally like pretty much just like a slate, like fucking VTM and like slate, like VCC or Crane Song Phoenix, like on every channel and pretty much like then L1s on things if I need like some volume or something like that and pretty much nothing else like so it's like when I gave like Tom Ward Algy my session he was just like 
he was like, oh, it kind of doesn't really sound like the same as like your playback. It's like, well, I only have like a, a parallel processing of my distressors outboard and my SSL like you or my SSL like on my stereo channel. And then that's it. Like I actually don't use any plugins on the session that I'm giving you. Like it is the actual session. Like my session is completely dry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, how long has it taken you to get to that point to where you're doing things kind of like that? Um, I've just always kind of done it that way, I guess. And like, uh, you make so some you bad always work. committed like that was yeah yeah yep okay like because I didn't have enough inputs when I was rocking like a double O two at first I didn't have like enough inputs to be like oh I'm gonna fucking like chain my distressors later like there is no later it's now you know and so like I would just be like all right well then I'll just fucking plug in through the distressors out of my preamp and then into this and like now I'm compressing my kick and it's good to go and then you know you use nuke on one session and then all of a sudden when you're mixing you're like I fucking destroyed the kick and snare they sound terrible I'll never use nuke again and then you like use like four to one and then you're like that sounds like shit and then i'm never going to use that again and then i use two to one and then it sounded good and so i've never used anything other than two to one ever again on the stressors you know what i mean so it's like that's like you just like learn from experience you know what i mean and you just got to go for it and that's what I, that's like what i was talking about earlier is like how everyone's just like well how do i make it sound good right now it's like well you fucking figure it out you fucking try 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 again until you get a fucking result that you're fucking stoked on and then you fucking move the fuck on you know well, I think it needs to be said that you need you can't be afraid to fall on your face. Oh like, yeah, man. You got to be totally okay with with failing a few times yeah. and yep. maybe having a few things that don't sound that great. Um that's kind of the punk rock like skateboard mentality uh that I guess like I harness from like playing hockey and like like trying to skate when I was a kid and shit like that. It's just like, I'm not afraid to fucking fall on my face. Like, let's do this. Like, I'll go for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, by committing, um, even if you commit to a sound that's not that great, like you said, you're not going to make that mistake again. Yeah, exactly. Because there's something about committing to a bad sound that will stick with you. It's like a trauma almost. Yeah. And it's, well, it's funny because it's like, it's like watching Project Runway when Tim Gunn is just like, it's a make it work moment. You know, it's like, well, I've committed to this. I can't fucking redo anything else. And or like, oh, like if it's so bad, I can redo it and like donate free time to this dude. But like, and maybe they'll be stoked about that or whatever. You know, like I've done that so many times where it's like, I fucked up on this. Like, let's just redo it. You know, that hasn't happened in like years, but that used to fucking happen all the time. You know, well, I, th- I just think that it takes a lot of confidence to be able to commit yep. and it's not a natural thing for people to have that. Um, so it's almost like you have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone and willingly put yourself in discomfort in order to get to the point where you just know what settings are going to work well, 90, I, 99% of the time and you can just fucking flow with it. Yeah. I, I think, I think like what that requires is people being self-aware, you know what I mean? And like, developing uh, a sound that they're trying to go for as opposed to like, like I remember when I did this, this story so far record up in Canada recently at Garth's studio, like he had this assistant named Carl fucking awesome dude. Um, and so he, he was just like, he was like, dude, watching you work is like fucking awesome. man. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, what do you mean? And he's just like, dude, like I, I can't tell you about like all these students that I'll see who will just like, it'll, it'll be their time to like record drums. And it's like, okay. And they'll just go on the talk back and be like, Hi, yeah. Can you play that kick? 
and then they they adjust the preamp, and then they look at the screen. And they're like, okay, that looks like a good level. Okay, great. Can you play the snare, please? Whereas like I'm spending like fucking an hour and a half like on my one kick mic, being like, let's try this compressor, let's try this, let's try this, and then the, the drummer stops. I thought that's like, how you're hey, supposed man, to like, do it. You know, yeah, exactly. Hey man, like, can you keep playing that kick? You know what I mean? Just like like actually fucking getting sound and like making shit sound fucking cool and resonate with you, where you're like, this sounds badass. I fucking am ready to record yes you know what i mean like they think that that like part comes later you know what i mean like oh when this guy mixes it like all of a sudden it'll sound like fucking blink 182 you know it's like no man like you got to do that right now and if you're unhappy with the sound you got to fucking move that mic or you got to fucking retune that drum and you got to do something about it you know replace that drummer yeah, exactly. Dude, I, and with I do another that. drummer. <laughs> See, that's the thing too. Is like, then I started getting to that point of fucking replacing people uh, at request and then, or like Captain Midnight thing, which is just like really <laughs> butthurt, like, you know, really hurts people's feelings when they find out that they didn't do it, you know? Captain so then I just started, <laughs> so then I just started being honest with people about it. And then it created even more confrontation about it. So it's just like, all right. So now I just fucking start being patient and I'm just like, all right, man, if you can't play, then we're going to. We're going to take three days for one song and it's just going to be on your dime. So let's do this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get uh, flustered about that and fucking hire other people anymore. That's that's actually pretty impressive that you have the patience. Well, I mean, I've had to fucking develop it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and I, but it's but it's also more so like developing like the like not give a fuck scenario. Like, I only care about making this sound good. Like, I because like I used to. I used to respect people's time and their budget so much that I was just like, no, man, we got to fucking get this done. And then they were mad at me for fucking like pushing them to fucking get shit done on time and right. And so then I became the bad guy. So it, and it only hurt me because I'm fucking like making less money and then I'm fucking being the asshole. So like, how about I just be hella nice and take my fucking time and then I just charge them for that time. And if they want to like bitch about the fact that they're not doing it fast enough, well, then that's on them. That's clearly not on me, you know? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, the interestingly enough, me replacing people on records usually is at the request of the band. Yeah, me too. That's and like, a lots of the confrontations that I've had with people where I've replaced them on records is because the band put me up to it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the band was like, <laughs> and like because like they didn't want to admit it to themselves and or like. But then they would like be like, what do you think, man? Like, what are our options? It's like, well, I can fucking play your bass for you, you know? And then they're just like, yeah, man, I mean, it does sound better. And then they don't want to tell the guy, you know what I mean? So then I'm the bad guy, you know what I mean? Or like then fucking, you know, just like other things like that that just happen where like I, I, I just got tired of being like, all right, man, like, but if it's like a huge, serious concern, I'll just have a decent conversation with it and then they'll be pretty much be cool. Like, it's like I, I'm like, I'm working on this project right now and like I'm playing all this, all this guitar overdubs and all the bass. And like someone in the band is like butthurt that they're not playing anything, but they're like, it's just like, what the fuck, man? Like, if you want to pay for the time, that's fine. Otherwise, like I'm donating my time to make this great and everyone else in your band is happy about this. So let's just do this, you know? So how do you, how do you approach that conversation? In I'm a just way honest that, about it. I'm just transparent. Okay. So just, yeah. so just be as upfront about it, but maybe just don't be mean about it. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, yo, know, like I can, you can do it, but it's going to take you a lot of time and it's going to cost you your own dime and your own money. And, or I could just do it for you and be your best friend and make it sound even better. So you tell me what you want to <laughs> do, you know? Yeah. And faster. Yeah, exactly. And so if, as long as like, 
I'm not trying to like put these people down in the process or like belittle them or whatever. Like it usually goes totally fine because they just want to make the best shit possible within their budget and they're limited because uh, someone's not able to complete that their end of the bargain. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like, or their end of the fucking deal, you know? So it's like, I'll fucking step in and be like, all right, I'll fucking get it done for the price and for the time if you fucking give me your guitar right now, you know? So let's talk a little bit about, since you started talking about this, I want to hear more about your process for getting drum tones. So yes, please. you like to sit there and get it right from the source, which is how I like to do it too, which yep. is how I feel like everyone should do it. If you're serious about it, if you're serious about getting great production tones, you need to sit there and get get it right from the start and not, not worry about the, not like wait for the mixer to save your life. So like when I first started like recording stuff at my house, like when I was fucking 18, 32 now, so you can do the math, I guess, right? It's been almost what, 15 years or something like that? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like 14 years or something, right? So, uh, anyways, um, you know, I had, a, I had a drummer who was like leaving his drum kit at my house because I had like a little like studio in my house. And so I remember one day just being like, all right, I'm going to record drums. So I grabbed the drum key and I just started wrenching on drums and changing the tuning and experimenting with it. And like, uh, I've eventually gotten extremely good at drum tuning and like, I think my drum sounds sound great. You know what I mean? That's why I will stop tuning them and we'll move on to record them because I think I, they sound the best they can possibly sound. You know what I mean? So it's like, I've gotten really into drum tuning, really into like tuning drums to the keys of songs, like as best as I can, like I'll find the range that the, these toms like to live in. And then I'll just be like, well, if their harmonic overtone is like resonating with inside of like, if I use this little lap keyboard that I have and just be like, bing, bing, bing. And it's like, I hit the tone. It's like, doom, doom. All right, perfect. There we go. Uh, now let's move on to the floor time, you know? So I get everything really in tune. And then uh, my room is also like the fucking shit. Like I have a bunch of like reflective wood in it and it's got like a bunch of diffusion. So it sounds alive as opposed to like a dead drum room. Like mm-hmm. I can't fucking describe how many times I've recorded in some of the biggest rooms that are just huge fucking dead rooms. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, this is sick. This is bigger than my room. And then you hit the snare and there's just no decay. There's no ambience. You have to like completely fake it by like delaying room mics and, you know, fucking distorting room mics and shit like that. What's you know? the point so, of going to a really nice room if you're going to have to do that? Yeah, I mean, I've... So and now at this point, I like to make records of my studio. <laughs> like, uh, uh, I've done, like, the whole try-try again, you know? I've, I've developed the opinion through my experiences that I really like my drum room and I get the best drum sounds in my fucking drum room, you know? Well, I mean, it's the room that you know inside and out that you have the Absolutely. most experience with um, and that you have... You're, you know, you have the the most knowledge of if A isn't working, we can try B. If B isn't working, well, there's this thing I tried that one time, so we can try C. Like totally. this, whereas in another room, you don't have those kinds of experiences. Yep, and you're pretty much limited on time because you're already yeah. like we're paying for a, a a higher like quality room, essentially. You know what I mean? Which is so funny because it's always a toss up. Is it's like, is their live room better than mine or is their front end better than mine? Like it it has to be like one of the two. You know what I mean? Because like it's like I can find a better live room than mine, but then like the the front end isn't as sick as mine. Or I can find a really sick front end, but then the fucking live room isn't that sick, you know? So it's just a little gamble. What do you think is more important? Um definitely the room. I mean I, I can't I can't get a good jump sound without my room. Okay, so you think that a good room, if you had to 
prioritize gear versus room, you think a good drum room goes a longer way. Absolutely. For, for my, That's for my aesthetic, think. yeah, for my aesthetic of what I am going for when I, what I like to hear with drums, I like to hear ambience and space. You know what I mean? Like, like I immediately, like in my mind right now, I think about the um, digital bath drum tone from uh, Deftones, like, like just so much space and ambience that's like i like to hear a drum set in a room as opposed to hear my kick mic my snare mic you know what i mean my my uh my cymbal mic like i just uh, feel so disconnected you know what i mean like i want to hear like john bonham playing drums in a fucking room you know and i want to hear the space so it's like if i go into a dry dead room there's there's not a natural ambience that like really works it, it it's hard like I need some sort of reflective surface to fuck with, you know? I find that um, if you have a great room, you know, obviously with great sounding drums and a good drummer, sometimes you can have budget preamps and still get great tones. Whereas you invert that situation, um, you have great front end, great preamps and all that, but maybe the room's not so good and the drummer's not so good. You're not getting good sounds. No, totally. And also... Uh, it's one of those, like, if you have really, if you have really good gear and like shitty tones, it's just making your shitty tones sound even shittier because it's a higher definition. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, you get to hear how bad they are in full pristine quality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dude, I've told people that for years, which is like, if you get, if your tones are really bad and you get really nice gear, you're just going to have really, uh, really detailed versions of your bad tones. Totally. Totally. I mean, it's like, I remember the first time when I was like recording drums in my house and I had like the Behringer, like eight channel preamp. And I was like, man, these sound fucking good. Like uh, it's fucking like my drum set sounds fucking great, you know? And then I get some APIs and I'm like, Oh, (laughs) like there's a kind of a difference. I think, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but like, it doesn't like, it didn't, it wasn't just like, oh my fucking God, go fuck the Behringer. You know what I mean? It was just like such a subtle difference that then I started like, I've always just kind of, that's why I like, I was like one of the first dudes to like really fucking dive into the DIY market. It was just like, oh, you mean I can make my own fucking API preamps, my own fucking 1176s? Like, let me make them and let me test them. Like, it sounds just as good. Great. I'll sell the fucking real one and get two of these, you know? Like, uh, I've always just been like, I'll just make, uh, like, I'm fucking stoked on my sounds that I get over here like I don't need like the Neves and I don't need the fucking like whatever is like they sound good you know what I mean like they're nice to use but there's such a subtle difference that like moving a mic and like a different environment is is 80% of a different sound you know what I mean that's Matt uh this this guy I work with Matt Brown he's a drum tech engineer yep guy really 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 great and we uh we kind of have tried to figure this out and we came to the conclusion that the drummer and the drum set is like 80% of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like 15% of it is like the microphones yep. and then 5% is like the rest, like the yep. preamps and the conversion and all yeah, that. And the compression like, and all that shit. Yeah. yeah. But if you want to make the biggest difference to your drum tone, like the most dramatic results, you change the heads or the drum set or the drummer. Like that's, or the room, that's like that right there. That's the heavy lifting tone wise. So like, if you really, really want to make a difference, it's not whether you get the warm audio 76 or the warm audio API or the real API or 
um, the cappies that like uh, you built me, they yeah. all pretty much they don't sound identical, but yeah. like they sound close enough, and they all sound good. Yep. Like they sound close enough to where what you put through them um, is what actually makes all the difference. Absolutely, yeah. So it's it's like. You know, getting back to drums, obviously, is like, you know, fucking tuning is one of the big important things. And uh, um, it's funny because, like, a lot of dudes are, like, they are they love open snares. Like, no fucking muting or nothing on it. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, when I first got into drum tones and shit, like, I was really into that band Mute Math. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, man, like, their fucking drums sound crazy. And when I saw, like, them play, like, dudes, like, Kip was, like, so taped up and, like, just, like, the lowest tuned thing. And just like super dead and thick, and uh, like Tame Impala does that really well too. You know what I mean? And like that's like a completely different sound, like in the production and, and the end result. Like because I love so much more ambience and space, but I love like that style of tuning and shit. So it's like when I hit a snare, it like if I'll, I'll figure out kind of the beat that's going on, and I'll make sure that a K like matches like the song and sounds natural. And my snares just are like smack, and they're not like. You know, like they have like no ring, they have nothing. They're like extremely short, quick decays. Where it's like when I'll be like when drummers will do snare rolls and they're mic'd up and they like sound, you know, and I, I'm ready to record. Like I, I will literally fool myself and be like, that sounds like a fucking one shot snare, like during that snare roll because it's just like it's compressed and it's like so consistent that it just is like da 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 da. You know what I mean? There is no like variation or tonal variation. Like I'm just I, I really like consistent dead sounding drums because my room's ambience like actually is like long enough and cool enough to make them have like a really like sick sustain that sounds great you know i think that people who who hate muffling drums uh just don't know how to do it right yep i can understand that i feel like that's like like how you play with the muffling and the dampening on a drum you have so many tonal options with that yeah like it's not just alive or dead like it's everything in between as well. So the, um, what what I'll usually do is I'll fucking like I'm I'm like moving my hands right now cuz I'm a hand talker, but it's I like I'll see. hit I'll hit the snare uh, head and I'll fucking move my hand around it and I'll just like wherever all of a sudden I'm just getting mainly the most like consistent resonant note where it's just like, you know, smack 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 and I, if I move it a little bit it's like shmoong, shmoong, you know, like it, I'll <laughs> I'll make sure that I just like cut that out and I'll that tape was it a or beautiful fucking noise. Yeah, I'm I'm really good at that those impressions, right? <laughs> shmoong, shmoong. Yeah, um but yeah, anyways, like that's the same with like toms and kicks and stuff like that too. Like I've never really like muffled kicks uh with like tape or anything but i have like oh the the kick pillow you ever heard of that dude i have the fucking mm-hmm. i have two of them fucking awesome I forget the guy's name who makes them but he's badass so shout it's out the to one that, that guy. stretches from front head to back head right yeah yeah and it's got it's like a, this it's like a it's weighted yes. and it has like a uh, um like a non-slip surface on the bottom of it i think it's called the kick pillow like and it's he makes like he made like a custom like orange one for the giants for me and it's fucking sick um, but yeah, like I, so it's just like, that's, I like the drums to have quick decays. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, like a nice quick, bright, like tone, but then very quickly, like, like the, uh, the decay will immediately end and you can t- kind of hear the sustain in the room just a little bit. You know what I mean? For just a quick second. Like it sounds alive and quick. I'm trying to remember if it's called the kick pillow. I think it is. Yeah, I think so. I forget that guy's name. I'm looking it up because I feel like, uh. I feel like we should give him a shout out. Yeah, he's fucking cool, man. 
Kick pillow, kick pillow pro. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kick pillow pro. Yeah. The I forget kick the dude's pro. name, but he uh, he's like a hella sick drum tech in L.A. and he's a, he's a nice guy. He's cool. Muffle low technologies. Um, highly recommended. I've definitely used these before. Yeah. And it's it's just good. It's. I mean, I know you can just put a regular pillow in your kick drum, but like. Yeah. Exactly. This is way better. Yeah, way better. It's way smaller too, so it's yeah. not like a huge, like thick, fluffy pillow. And then it's just like a nice. It's like a nice, solid sandbag. It's fucking sick. It's perfect, and it hits both heads, and it's great. Okay, so you take your time. You get the muffling just right. Yeah. You get the tuning just right. Um, what about sticks? Do you get involved with what sticks the drummer's not, using? Not really, unless like they're like they have bitch hands and they just like are hitting like a little bitch. I'm just like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? Then all like like sometimes I remember like with some metal drummers, like when they would do like I would have to go back and do fill passes and make them flip their sticks over like Vinnie Paul style and just play with the butt ends. You know what I mean? But then mm-hmm. they fucking they cr- they smash their cymbals if you fucking have it like that. So you gotta have like you gotta you gotta be. You got to just do the fill overdubs and then they're they're really annoyed because they don't want to do the fill overdubs because they think it's fucking lame as fuck. Just like, dude, just be my best friend and just fucking flip your sticks <laughs> over and hit your toms as hard as I fucking tell you to hit them, you know? Man, it makes all the difference in the world, though. Absolutely, yeah. Like, I don't like to compress toms or anything because it's too much bleed. So, like, you have to, like, hit them, right? Like, and, and if, and, like, as I'm editing drums, like, if there's, like, shitty hits, I'll be like, let's go back and do that tom fill again and I'll do it, like you know five to fucking ten times until i get the tom hits to be like four perfect transients that look identical you know what i mean yeah absolutely i think uh, let me just say also that i think that one thing that people who haven't done this i guess at the level that you're playing at or the level that i've worked at one thing that a lot of people don't understand that this is what's good about an internship with someone awesome is that you don't realize when we're saying like redo the fill five to ten times until the transients look perfect. He means redo it five or ten times until the transients look perfect. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or if it takes twenty times. <laughs> yeah. But like you don't move on until yeah. it looks and sounds perfect. Dude, and I like other. This is another thing that blows people away too. I edit in the moment. Like I don't outsource my edits. I'm not like okay, I'll record the drums. And like that was great. Let's move on. And like now someone's gonna edit it. Like. No, I record the intro and then I edit it and then I record the verse and then I edit it and then I fucking record the chorus and then I edit it and then I record the second verse and then I edit it and then I'll listen to both verses and if they're identical, I'll take the better of them and or I'll comp them both together and take the best fills and then copy and paste them and then the chorus again and then I'll fucking do the same between them. Like I edit every single fucking, every single step that we do, I fucking absolutely make sure that we are making the best fucking decision possible before we move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you don't, you don't sit around and wait and you don't assume that it's going to get better. Like you get it, you get it album ready right then and there. I put in the hard work from fucking moment one. You know what I mean? Have you ever had uh, musicians kind of resist that? In the name of just trying to get things done quicker? Um, not really, like, because they usually just, like, they hear the end result and they're just like, fuck yeah. Um, but, like, if anything, some dudes, like, who are just, like, like, you know, who are fucking green, fucking fresh noobs will just be like, oh, do you do this to everyone? It's like, yes, I do this to every single fucking hit. I do this to every transient. I do this to every hit. It's I treat it like a piano that I'm going to fucking quantize in MIDI. Here we go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, okay, so, all right, so... 
You go through the meticulous process of making sure that the drums are finished once they're once you're done tracking, it's done. Like totally. it sounds it it's sound, completely edited, yeah. it's ready to go. And it sounds great. It sounds perfect. Okay. Yep. And like and if I if I'm like gonna be even more proactive, the last step I would do would like be slice toms up, do like fades and cut them and gate them, and maybe fucking like record a kick and snare sample of that kit and or a tom sample if I have to replace like a tom because we just couldn't get it right or something like that. And then I'll be like, Oh great, now I'll just make a kick trigger real quick with this inside kick mic. So I have like this perfect fucking thing to use for gating if I need to gate anything, you know, if I wanna like duck rooms or use it i have it ready to go and then it's just it's fucking done like so my drums are like quantized they're fucking uh consolidated and they have fucking like the the toms are already edited and cleaned and then i have a kick and snare trigger that is ready to go to open gates and or use as a close mic sound if i need it to fucking go you know and how long does this normally take you um it'll take me maybe like i mean depending on the drummer it'll take like yeah, i could finish course. i could finish an entire song in like an hour you know what i mean but uh i could also like if it's going to be like a longer song with a bunch of takes and like a bunch of like different moments um it'll take me maybe like anywhere from 3 to 6 hours like usually for a song and that so and that involves the performance yeah and to, so i i can yeah. i can slam through like 2 to 3 songs uh on drums like maybe 4 like depending on the scenario um but like it's like day 1 like i'll spend maybe like six hours fucking getting tones and then like four hours recording like the first song and then I'll leave and then the next day I'll smash through like two songs, maybe three songs, you know? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So two yeah. to three songs a day, what, depending on who it is, yep. that, I mean, that makes per that I feel like more than three songs a day. Yep. is pushing it. Yeah, like, especially, well, like when you're especially going full where detail. I, when I'm editing it and shit like that too, you know what I mean? Like it's like a fucking lot of brain power to fucking go through. Like my head will fucking hurt, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So, okay, so what's next? So then uh, I get into guitars after that, um, which is always just DI guitars, you know what I mean? Which uh, some people fucking, you know, don't understand and have issues with and then other people completely get it. But, uh, I prefer to record guitars with no amp simulators and just listen to just a DI guitar. Oh, oh so when you say DI, you mean yeah. you're listening to the actual DIs when you're tracking? Yes, I am not using anything I, I else. I have never heard of this being Dude, done like this before. I, I, want I to hear plug more. in, I, I, I use my UTA cable. Okay, so you're being serious right now. You're not trolling. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. Okay. So uh, I, will, I will use... Um, my UTA cable, it's set to zero, meaning there's no fucking resistance. There's no signal loss. It's the perfect pristine sound. And I'll go into either, uh, the undertone audio preamp, which is just like set completely perfectly at line level so that there is no volume difference between guitar and the line level signal. It's unity. I've fucking done the tests. I've done the nulling tests, phase nulling. Like I have it dialed. You know what I mean? And then if I use my Avalon, I have to use a one decibel trim uh, on the the track to actually get it to be completely perfect with my A to D converter. So I'll usually, because I'm usually like recording drums and I have my two UTAs set up on on kick and snare, I'll usually use the uh, the Avalon, but I prefer the UTA. Very small difference, really doesn't fucking matter, but I would prefer the UTA if I could, you know. So, anyways, I plug in DI, and if anything. I will maybe use Waves Guitar for them to monitor through, but after they do a take, I immediately just drag it onto a dry track with nothing on it, and I listen to only the DI. All I care about listening to is what the actual sound is that's coming out of the guitar. I want to make sure it's 
perfectly fucking played with no awkward like hitting the pickup overtones or anything like that no fucking like missed strum hits no weak strum hits no fucking out of tune things i want it to sound like a fucking keyboard like i want it to be perfect you know what i mean and so that's where the Evertune also helps out as well, too, because then you can immediately just start stacking guitars and they're perfectly in fucking tune and it's great. So I'll just fucking edit transient by transient, fucking quantize everything, get it perfect, uh, consolidate that. And then eventually I will reamp those DIs. Now, what do you say to people who say that here, like playing into the amp affects their feel and how they uh, play? They will play better if they listen to only their DI. Their amp is overcompensating and it's compressing and it's fucking adding gain and it's adding shit that was a lot that is making them not play to their fullest potential. It's that simple. Like you can concentrate on the velocity of your strum pattern, what size pick you're using, everything about it, which pickup you're using, ev- everything. Like I want to make sure I have gotten the correct. I like for what guitar riff I'm doing for the song. I want to make sure I have the right guitar and that it is played on the correct setting going into uh, my computer to ensure that I captured the best possible guitar and performance before I put it into an amplifier. Amazing. Okay. So is this something that like once guitar players come around, they're like, damn, yes. that was great. Yes. And, and, and it may take an entire fucking record, but usually like with the Evertune, it'll just be like, trust me, use my fucking Evertune. And they'll be like, but I have like this hella fucking sick guitar. It's like, fuck you. Use my fucking Evertune. <laughs> you, like, we're going to do this SG. That sounds great. Look fuck at how your perfect. Sick guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to use my SG. It sounds perfect. Great. Now that my SG is a little thin and bitey, we're going to fucking double that with my Les Paul, which is a little fucking dull and bit and fluffy. So let's do that. And now let's play both of them together. You hear the difference? How perfect does that sound? Great. Next part. Let's move on. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, <laughs> I, I make sure it's perfect. You know what I mean? And like, it's, I want, I like when I listen to like, you know, strumming patterns when it's just like da 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 I want it to be like da 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 not like da 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 like I want it to be the most perfect strummed thing. You know, I want like I don't listen to things in in half speed all the fucking time. Like as I'm editing and shit like that, uh like I just want to make sure that it's that no one else could have recorded that better than I did in that moment, you know? And so I guess kind of like with the with the drums, by the sounds like by the time you're done tracking a song of guitars, you know that performance is the shit. Perfect. Yep, it's perfect. And when I reamp the guitar later, it's very rare that I will hear a mistake. And if it's a mistake, I can easily fucking copy and paste it from a moment. And or if I need to fucking like fix it, you just plug right into the DI and it's ready to go and we just pop it in and done. You know what I mean? So it's like, and, and that's the thing is that like, as you're recording guitar, you're, you're, there's so many variables that are being overlooked. If you're just trying to like be punk rock and just like play into a fucking amp and throw some fucking mics on it and just be like, yeah, man, that sounds good. It's like, all right, is it the right guitar? Is it the right uh, amplifier? Is the amplifier set at the right settings? Is it the right guitar cabinet? Is it the right microphone? Are the microphones going through the right preamps? Do they need EQ? Do they need any fucking compression? Like, I want to make sure that I have not overlooked any fucking step by just cramming them all together, you know? It is 
incredible how many different variables there are with guitar when you really start breaking it down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, that's the thing too, is it's like, dudes are like, oh, I prefer my fucking like American made Fender. It's like, play my $300 Evertune. It sounds just like your fucking American made Strat because it is a fucking Strat. You know, like it sounds like a fucking Strat. It may sound like a little thinner or a little brighter or whatever, but it sounds like a Strat. That's all I need. Now play it perfectly. Here we go. That that's killer, and I noticed that you said is the pick the right size. Absolutely, that's, makes such a big difference. People don't realize it sometimes. Totally, I have two picks that I prefer, and I like they're my like panda picks that I have done, and uh, one of them is a huge fucking tortilla chip pick which is what I use for like any like heavy palm mutes or any fucking like heavy strumming. Like it's like, Oh, you're going to do punk shit. Well, like you're going to have to hit those strings hard, like a fucking man. And they're going to be perfectly in tune on this ever tune. So use this heavy pick, you know what I mean? But then if you're playing some clean stuff, maybe it sounds a little too overbearing. So then I usually switch to the 73. So it's, it's either the 73 or the 1.14 millimeter picks. Those are like, I basically like force people to use my two picks. I'm just like, yep, you're going to use this one. Here you go. Okay, so all right, so you're you're then left with a perfect, crystal clear, sparkly, but badass DI performance. Absolutely. Do you then get the tone for the guitar tone before you move on? Um, no, I'll, like it depends on the scenario. Um, it's kind of like. I'll, I'll usually judge it by like, what do we? What's the heavier lifting thing that we have to do now? Like, do we have like ten more songs of guitar that we have to record? Well, let's just record all the DI for all the songs. Okay, great. Like, now what's the biggest thing? Well, we don't have bass, so let's just record all the bass now. Okay, great. Like, before we do vocals, let's start reamping everything so that the vocalist can sing to actually normal sounding shit. You know what I mean? As opposed to some fucking waves guitar or fucking DIs. You know what I mean? Let's talk about your process for recording bass. I, I feel yeah. like people overlook the importance of getting an awesome bass Dude, guitar performance. I am the best bass player I have ever recorded. I say <laughs> that and it's so, it's still to this day, fucking uh, one of the truest statements ever. And like, uh, people are just I'm, like, I'm in my top five. I'll say that yeah, because so, the, the guy in my band is incredible. And uh, I've recorded a few incredible people, but like besides those guys, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm better than just about everyone I've recorded. Totally. I mean, one of the best bass players I've recorded, probably the best bass player is Kellen from the story so far. And it's like, he's one of the bass players where he's like so good that he can play over everything. So it takes a longer time to record him because we have to edit down all these really good ideas into something that actually works in the song. You know what I mean? So it'll start off like just like so overcomplicated and awesome that it's like, great, try to like uh, 70% of that. Like, okay, try like 50% of that. Okay, try 30% of that. Okay, try 10% of that. Okay, try 5%. Okay, try none of that. Yeah, none of it. That's the way that it works. There we go. That's the next part. You know what I mean? Like, like it's so it's uh, um, lots of like I'm really big about following kick patterns and like making sure that everything hits together. You know what I mean? Like that's the other biggest step that everyone overlooks is they don't even realize they're just like, oh, I play this guitar part, and then the bass player goes, I play this bass part, and then the drummer goes, I play this drum part, and no one ever goes what do we as a unit play together? What is your kick pattern? Then my strumming pattern follows that and it does this. My kick, like my bass pattern will follow your kick pattern and it will do that. And then his vocals will follow these patterns and we will all sound like we are playing as a tight band and this is awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, I feel like, or they automatically assume that they should all play the exact same thing. Whereas, yep. you know, lots of times bass 
lines are cooler if they're a marriage between yep. the guitar and the kick drum. And Absolutely. so they, they play something that matches the harmonic movement of the guitar, but with like, say, the pattern of the kick. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the exact same thing, but they all have to work together like a section. Yep, absolutely. It's, rhythm, it's actually really like funny. Like a rhythm section. It, because like, oh, after I do like the DI guitars, because they're DI, like they're so small sounding that like you you need the bass. You know what I mean? Like it absolutely sounds weird unless the bass is in there, you know? And so then it makes it so easy to record bass because it's like, all right, great. I want to make sure I get the most square wave looking fucking transients that are so fucking consistent coming from this dude's pickup, like picking pattern. And like, we're going to go part by part and we're going to make sure that we match everything. And then we're going to fucking copy and paste anything that is the same thing. And we're going to fucking move on, you know? So it's like super like, again, DI bass, you know, DI bass, part by part I'll fucking even if it like depending on the shit and like depending on the sound or the fucking performance or the fucking song or whatever I'll even record note by note and just be like what's the first note that you play and it's just like oh it's da 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 okay oh, only play da 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 and and just do it really slow go da 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 okay great and then I'll cut that up and then I'll fucking program it so it's like da 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 you know what I mean like i I create bass lines by editing them and doing tab to transients. You know what I mean? I think that um, the bass, especially for rock and metal, is very, very important that it is ultra consistent. Like, Absolutely. Like, it I has think to sound it, like a MIDI keyboard. Yeah, and it should look like a fucking square block, like you yep. said. Like there should be, in my opinion, there should be no dynamics in it Absolutely whatsoever. Not, yeah. it, it should, should be the exact be same transient, yeah. Yep. Exactly. And I mean, that's the reason that, um, that like Joey or Joel will use L1 yep. on the bass. And that's, I know a lot of other guys might not use L1, but they have their own method of limiting and then compressing the shit and then distorting the bass until it, end result is it looks like a block. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I don't think that, uh, there's room for rhythmic, uh, deviance either like it's gotta be fucking perfect yep it's uh the bass player for story does it really well like he's got like a really consistent hand like and that's like that's another thing too that i like thankfully i thankfully have is my guitar teacher when i was growing up was aru luster from machine head and now from il nino and so like when i first like took lessons from him he was just like yeah show me some of your band's riffs and i like played him a song and he was just like yo man like you're really good but like your right hand like all you do is just do down picking so i like worked on all these exercises with him and like when people play guitar what i'm always critical about is the fact that they don't use their right hand correctly it's inconsistent it's not a fucking machine you know what i mean it's like no man i want this thing to be a machine and with bass there's this like i can't really explain it you can only understand it if you play bass but there is a way and it's different on every single bass but there's a way to hit that string where the momentum creates this like this recoil that makes it so consistent to be able to play that thing you know as opposed to like slapping the shit out of a fucking string hard it's not doing that it's about getting that momentum to be extremely consistent you know and so like so many players don't have that touch. They don't have that feel. They're like, I'm strumming at, uh, the right uh, fret at the right time. It's like, yeah, but like you sound like shit with your right fucking hand, dude. You know what I mean? I find that, uh, you know, obviously 
left hand is very important. You can't be pulling notes out of tune and yep. all that. But like the great oh yeah, you can with my fucking Evertune. So who the fuck yeah. cares? No, just <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, fair pull enough, that shit, but bend that shit, dude. <laughs> the uh, I used to call that shit death grip before uh, Evertune. Um, the death grip people, death grip chords out of tune and all that. We, but uh, we call it witch I fingers. Think, <laughs> man, that shit would piss me off. But yeah. I find that the right hand is the big differentiator. That's the tone. That's the sound. Yeah. The right hand, and lots of people are more worried about their left hand when it comes to guitar and bass, but your right hand, that's what separates the men from the boys. Totally. I mean, it's like, it's like saying like, uh, oh, I did, I stayed up all night and I studied, you know, that's like the left hand. Whereas the right hand is just like, I'm going in confident. I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a different attitude. You know what I mean? Like Headfield sounds the way that he does because of his fucking right hand. You know what I mean? And Kirk Hammett can't sound anything like Hetfield because he's got a different right hand because he's a fucking soloer. You know what I mean? So he's got more gentle fucking vibe and feel. Whereas Hetfield just fucking smashes that shit, you know? Oh yeah. He's like totally the the down picking alpha male yeah. su- superior creation. Exactly. Yeah. So like Kirk Hammett isn't just like, well, <laughs> I want to play the rhythm guitar part on the record. Like he doesn't give a fuck. He wants it to sound fucking heavy, and clearly it's going to sound fucking heavier if James Hetfield does it. So just give you him your fucking guitar, and then you'll play the solos on the record, and it'll be great. Done. Yeah. Uh, well, it. I mean, it really sounds so different. When you have a a maniac playing, maniac right-hand player versus a regular right-hand player. Um, And I find that on bass, it's even more so. Yep, absolutely. Like, uh, I feel like the right-hand requirements on bass are that much more important. Yep. Like, that can ruin the whole power of a record. Absolutely. So I imagine that you probably, you say that you're a better bass player than most people you record probably because you're right hand. Yeah. Nine out of 10 dudes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also because like, I'm, I'm extremely respectful to the relationship between the drums and the guitar because I've already, I've, I've manipulated the kick patterns and, or the, uh, the drum patterns and the strumming patterns of the guitars to play with each other. So I'm like, okay, great. It's, uh, I'm only allowed to hit these notes here at this time. If I do anything else, I'm walking all over everyone else. And that's wrong. Like, it's like, it's not like I'm deciding the things to play, like the, the, the fucking song and like the things that I'm supposed to play are literally laid out by the drum performance, by the guitar performance. You know what I mean? So that's where it's like, a lot of people are like, well, that's subjective, man. It's like no man like you could fucking do what you want to do with inside of these very small boundaries depending on what the song is asking from the bass you know what i mean yeah totally okay so you've got these perfect drum bass and guitar performances so yep. then the next step before vocals is you actually get amps on everything yep. then i ramp and do you follow the same philosophy of you're not going to want to reamp again when the mix comes like let's get Absolutely. it right right yep, now i like, get it right Yep, right from the start. Okay, okay let's talk about that, because you've also got the robot. I remember you made yeah. your own robot. You didn't buy yeah, one, you made one. I was one of the fucking, so that's the funny thing, too. Like, not to toot my own fucking horn, but to toot my own fucking horn, dude, I've definitely been, a, like, right ahead of some trends, you know what I mean? So it's like I the remember. DIY market, like, I was right, be, right uh, uh, before the DIY market bloomed, I was, like, one of the first fucking adopters of it. And then um, fucking, like, it popularized through Instagram, et cetera, Etc. And the first time I ever saw a robot, 
which was through a fucking uh, Ramstein fucking video. And I had heard about the robot before I even saw the Ramstein video. I was like, I need one. And then I saw in a photo a picture of Eric Valentine's one before he even did the Pensado's Place like interview about it. And so I was like hitting up everyone that I knew to be like, who could build me this? And so finally my homeboy, Carrie, was able to build it for me. And I've like, I... I had it for like a good like four or five years before Dynamount even came out. Like I was the fucking, the OG fucking Mike dude. It was like me, Eric Valentine, and the fucking Ramstein guy. I was like the first DIY adopter. I remember this. I can yeah. vouch. You're, Sam is telling two, the two. truth. Yeah, so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. So yeah, um, like. So for anyone that's that's not sure what robot we're talking about, this is not a robot that makes you coffee. This is a robot that mics your cabinets for you exactly so mine's mine's limited because it doesn't go off axis which i actually don't even like off axis miking on guitars so it that's completely a pointless part for me so it only goes left to right forward and back so like the way that i think about it is like uh, a cone is obviously 360 degrees so as long as you can go like uh left and right through the center of the cone you're essentially covering the 360 degrees of what the cone is possible to do you know what i mean yeah yeah um Essentially, what yeah. a cool idea! <laughs> yeah, so uh, like that. So like uh, my, I mean, I've gone down the fucking rabbit hole on fucking mics and everything, especially because when I got into the Kemper, I was like, I want to make the best sounding profiles ever. So like my my preamp, so like like I try every preamp, try every mic, and it always ends up being the exact same fucking thing. It's I like an a fifty seven and a Bayer Dynamic M160 on guitar. I don't like anything else. I've tried the 57-421 technique. I even, I even tried it again when I was in Canada because that's like Garth Richardson's thing, and I, I don't like it. I 421-57 thing just sounds too thin to me and not thick enough. Like I, 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 want the, like, I want my bright mic and then my thick, fluffy mic, and then if I put them both together, it sounds bright and thick, so it's perfect. Okay, and... And the and the Royer 121 is too fucking boomy, and I hate that mic. The only time I've ever made that mic sound good on guitar is when I flip it backwards. Flip it backwards. Uh, what do you mean by flip it backwards? So they have different frequency responses. The front of it is more dull. The backside is br- is brighter. Oh, okay. So okay, because it's a figure eight mic. Yeah, exactly. So, so the back of the figure eight. Totally. Also, I have okay. a theory too about the the Royer 121. So. Um, I think one of the ways that it was popularized originally was that Van Halen used a Royer 122. It wasn't a 121. It was the fucking active one, right? And uh, that, like, everyone was like, oh, shit, I want to get a Royer. So then they released the 121, and everyone bought those instead, and that's how that became super popular. But I think the actual better sound is the 122. I've never actually used it, but I've heard that it's a little bit brighter and has a little less bottom end than the 121 because of the active boost inside of it. So I assume that I would like that mic if I fucking use that instead of a 121. Very interesting. I had never heard that, but that... I believe you. Right. I'm a nerd, dude. Do you have a, and do you have any amps that you find you go back to all the time? Yeah. So I'm like, my amps are like my fucking thing. I, I, I fucking like, and that's, that's kind of how it's been. It's like people come here, they use my guitars, they use my drums, they use my amps. Like what I have my fucking shit dialed. Do you know what I mean? And like they occasionally like someone might have their own fucking drum set or their, their own amp. That's going to sound fucking sick. But like my shit is like is my shit because it's, I think it sounds the best. You know what I mean? So, uh, the only amp I would love to get is a diesel, uh, VH4 or whatever, but the third channel is the only one that sounds good on that amp. So it's pointless to get 
a fucking $4,000 amp for one usable channel. You know what I mean? I, I top out at about $1,000 on an amp. I want all my amps to be cheaper than $1,000. So they're like, bro, I get everything used and shit. So anyways, I got an orange 8140, which is like my fucking, I find that the best amp ever because it's not too dirty and it's not too clean. It's the perfect in between. So if the guitar part isn't clean enough, then you just get a cleaner amp. Like my Ampeg uh, Jet or my Ampeg uh, um, V4 um, or my Vox. And so then if it's if that's not heavy enough, then I'll fucking use my 5150 or my Marshalls. And I usually will do, uh, and I have an orange cab, a Bogner cab, and I have a, a, a cab that has greenbacks inside of it. And I have a 1x12 with a, a blue, uh, the Celestian Alinco, Alinco blue. So that's like my clean one. So I have the four different cabs. The robot's always set up. I always have uh, 57 on the robot. I have an M160 on another stand. And I'll basically be like, okay, great. We're going to record like, now we're going to reamp like this heavy fucking SG. Well, the heavy SG is like usually a little thin. So I'm going to put it into something like fluffy, like my 5150 with a good bite. And then it needs like something a little bit cleaner to, um, to like to coincide with like a little bit more clarity. So then I would use the orange and the 5150 simultaneously. 57 on the 5150 with my orange cab, M160 on the Bogner cab with the orange, and I blend both of those together and I'll sum them to one track. Nice. So you commit right then and there. Right then and there. Amazing. Yep. And I'll move the robot until it sounds good. I place the M160 directly in the middle of the fucking cone every single fucking time. Uh, 57 usually is like it. Like if if you're looking at like an NS10, you know what I mean. Like there's like the huge white middle part. It's like not directly in the middle of that. It's in between that and the line. Like that's where I usually find that I like my 57 to be. Not dead center, just tiny bit to the left or to the right. Okay. Um, so not not on the line. Like I know I remember like on the Andy Wallace or not Andy Wallace fucking Andy Snape thing. It was like oh he does a fifty seven on the line of a cone. You know what I mean? I'm like just inside of the line, right in between the center point and that line. That's that's cool. Um, and I just think it's it's funny because this is just how I've this is this is uh, accurate by my experience too that. You can try out all the amps in the world, and somehow yep. it always goes back to the same two or three. Yep. And for some reason, there's always a 5150 in there. Yeah, dude, a 5150, it's so funny because I used to have, like, a, like when I was first playing guitar as a kid, I had, like, a Mesa Boogie dual rectifier because I was like, I want to get a triple rectifier. I want to be West Borland. And they're like, fuck, dude, that's 150 watts. You don't want that. You want 100 watt. So then I got the dual, and then I wasn't really happy with it. And then I fucking, like, got, like, a Marshall JMP and like a 9200 like power amp because i wanted to be deftones and so then uh after that i was like fuck it like i'm gonna sell these because i'm now playing in a hardcore band and i just went to like this used shop called starving musician here and they had a 5150 for 500 bucks and i was like oh shit man like i know fucking machine head uses that like a rue luster is like my guitar teacher right now like i'll buy this this 500 dollars fucking uh 5150 and it's like it's like the sought after one. It's the block letter fucking uh, original fifty one fifty. It sounds so good. It's completely original. Mine, mine, mine was four fifty. Got it. That's so funny. Yeah, like the the best deals are always under five hundred bucks for an amp. Like literally every amp that I've spent less than five hundred dollars on is is probably my favorite amp. Man, best five hundred dollars ever spent. Yeah, great amp, great amp. And so then also. The other thing is too is like I have so many pedals. I love pedals, and I just got so fucking tired of being like, "Oh man, this part needs like a delay," and then I'd like go run to the room and then have to grab like a one spot and plug it in, and then get the cables and daisy chain it, and then like blah blah blah. So I just built my own board. So I have like all of my pedals 
on this board ready to go. And I built the true uh, bypass looper. So it's got like 16, 16 channels on it. So it's like, and it, I, I then was like methodical about the signal flow. So it's like, it goes like from tuner to EQ to boost and the boosts have a blend on it. So I can blend the amount of the tube screamer that I want on the DI. So it's like, I don't have to run specifically through the tube screamer. It could be 50%. And then like from there, it then goes into the fucking fuzz. And then it has like the things like phase and fucking all of that with blenders on them. So I can blend the amount of phase and or fucking flanger that I want in there instead of running them straight through. Like I have it like so dialed. So it's just like, all right, this is the clean guitar part. We're in the clean app. It sounds like a little dry. Let me turn on my reverb. Let me turn on my fucking delay and let me, let me tap tempo the delay. Great. Let me try a little chorus. Great. Oh, does it need a little boost? How about some compression? Let me do that. Like I have like my own console for my fucking pedal board. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'll just, I will manipulate the DI to hit my amp perfectly. So it just sounds great. And then I'm ready to go. So once again, you're not reinventing the wheel every single time. Yeah. um, And that's something with pedals that lots of times people do that. I find that they're always plugging them in for the first time. Yeah. Like always setting them up again. Whereas it sounds like with you, like you've got it down to like stations. Like this is the clean, the clean setup. Yep. Exactly. These are the options. I figured these options out. They exactly. Work. I have recorded so many clean guitars in my life. These are the ones that people think sound best, and these are the ones that I think sound best. Therefore, I'm going to use them when I set up clean guitar. You know, like I just mm-hmm. have my preference, and it's all based on experience. It's not like, oh, well, I read on the fucking URM forum that fucking Joey Sturgis <laughs> does this, so then I have my fucking line six preset. Like, you know, it's like I've developed this based upon following my own fucking ear. You know what I mean? Well, just for the record, we tell people to do that too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not <laughs> accusing you guys of that. Yeah, so good. But you you know how it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I know that when people are first learning, if they see us saying that someone did something, yeah, they lots of people will immediately just try to go and copy it. Totally. And I, and I input that, that secret learning, into my template. Now I have yeah. that secret. Here we go. You know. Yeah, but the thing that they don't understand, the other half of what we're saying is that this is what worked this one time, or this is what works for this person with their yep. workflow, and you should study it and understand it, but then go create your own version that works yeah, for absolutely. your workflow. Because absolutely. it's not going to work for you if you just copy it. Yeah, the, like it might the, work by like by sheer chance. Well, that's the other funny thing too is like the secret to success with audio is is that audio is subjective. Therefore, you must follow your own ear and your own gut instinct and do what you think sounds best. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, and when you're seeing all these badasses and what they do, like. Yep. It's that's great. I mean, it's great to get information from great people and absolutely try out their tricks and all that. But their tricks that the best ones are usually are there after a decade plus or two decades of trial and error. And totally. there's a level of understanding that they you can communicate verbally when there's a, a trick that you figured out because it's all your experience. You know, it's your decade or two decades of experience all, all coming together to create this workflow or tonal trick. And uh, you can't just steal that and expect that you're going to be able to utilize it the same way as some grandmaster. because totally. it Because for them, it's the trick plus their experience and ears. So, yes, learn that stuff. But 
it's not going to do the same for you unless you like incorporate it and then tweak it to work for your own workflow and uh, make it your own. It, it won't work otherwise. A funny thing that kind of like I've I've always kind of discovered is that like say like I I've found this to be true with. Uh, Adam Nolly, like, uh, I've always been pretty chill with him. He's always been really nice with me, like chatting with me a long time ago when I first like was working on state champ shit and stuff like that. He was like, dude, your drums are sick. Like, what are you using? And then I like, I tell him my mic signal flow and he's like, holy shit. Like I'm basically using the same thing, you know? And like, or I'll reach out to like, like other, and they're like, fuck man, like, what are you using on drum bus? Like your drums just sound so good. And they're like, oh, distressors. It's like, oh, I use that too. You know? So it's like, oh, it's funny because like what I identify with sounding good. And I'm like, fuck man, I wish I could get that tone. I wonder how they get that tone. They're using the exact same gear that I used to get that sound. And that's why I like that sound. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's funny because like, uh, I'll find, I find the most similarities with my workflow with Adam Nolly, like just by chance, like lots of the same mic, uh, signal flow, like lots Lots of the same like little like input uh, signal flow like it's with and it, and it was like oh no wonder I like his sound because like he's doing what I would probably have done if I had those same tools you know what I mean? Whereas even that said, your productions sound worlds apart. Completely, like, yeah, nothing, yeah, like you, nothing to like yeah. in any way, shape, or form. And and this is the the thing too is like there's three really important things that I focus on. Uh, in audio, which uh, a lot of people don't even really think about this, but the the three things that I'm chasing at all times are one, impact. I want to feel low end. I want to feel the fucking, I want pumping compression. I want shit popping out of speakers and feeling big. Two, I want to hear depth. I want to hear space. I want to actually hear a physical environment that these things in live in. I don't want them to just be this sterile sound that is coming out of air. You know what I mean? I want to hear that it was created in a space. And then three, I want to hear all of the details. Everything that's recorded, I want to hear it. I don't want anything to be quiet and buried. I want them all to be perfectly balanced so that I hear all of the hard work properly. You know what I mean? And so it's like when I listen to Adam Nolly's work, like what I hear is like the I hear the impact. His drums sound big. I hear the depth. He has very good like snare sustain and very good depth. And then there's extremely good detail. Like that's why like when I hear his mix, I go, "That sounds great." I wonder what he's using. You know? Mm-hmm. Turns out it's the same stuff you're using. Go pretty fucking much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't say enough for you know what really matters at the end of the day are the ears and the brain who's yep. manipulating the the equipment. So, all right, so do you have, like, maybe, like, contingencies for when, say, you're not, you're getting the detail you want and the depth, but the impact's not there on a mix? So, or, like, yeah. are you actually listening, are you listening to it in, like, a checklist almost? Um, like the- Yeah, exactly, like, not, like, like, uh, I'll just be like, man, like, okay, like, um, it sounds like, it sounds kind of small. Like, what does sound small? Is it the guitars? Like, is the guitars, like, too nasally? Is it too much bright top end? Or is it, like, a poking out frequency that makes them just sound like a mosquito? What's happening? Like, and so then, like, I'll start investigating, you know? But, like, it's it's usually, uh, like, like, with drums, for example, if I can't get enough impact like on on the way that i have like my fader set up is like okay well then great let me raise my fucking three parallel kick and snare compression buses that i have and see if that pumps them anymore like okay great that sounds 
a little bit better now. Like, let me try my overall drum bus compression and compress like the kicks like parallel with the rooms as well and see how that sounds because maybe I want more ambience or maybe I just want like close mic impact. And so then I get a good balance of that. And then I, I, I'll like all unsolo it and then listen to it with the guitars and the bass and be like, okay, everything sounds really big now, but now like my kick just like isn't hitting. Let me turn it up. Okay, that sounds better, but like it's too fluffy. Maybe like turn up my fucking uh, fader that has the fucking parallel EQ. So now like it sounds a little bit brighter. Okay, great. Now it's just as inconsistent. Okay, well, let's compress it a little bit harder. But now if I compress a little harder, it sounds like weirder. Okay, then let me raise a sample. Like it's, it's, I have them all laid out and ready to go to restore any of the issues that I'm hearing. You know, it's like, oh, like I need more fucking, uh, like I want more like room ambience. Great, I'll turn those up. Oh, but it still sounds like too, like, sounds too pointy. Okay, well, let me just like turn those up and then turn up the parallel fucking drum buses. And now like that's sitting better, you know, like, uh, it's very quick. Like I, I would just bank through and like within one minute of little moves, I have everything like sitting so that I have like the right impact, the right depth and the right detail there. And, and basically at that point, it's like always I'll get the impact right. And then I'll get the depth right. And then it's all about fucking detail with automation and fucking revision notes. You know what I mean? So it sounds to me like with that criteria that you set, it's not like there's not enough impact. Let me reinvent the wheel. Yeah. You have your mixes set up already in a way to where you can add those things or tweak exactly. those things like and very I, easily. I, yeah, and it's and it's not like the last thing I want to do is open up a menu of a plugin and be like, let me turn up 80 hertz at three decibels. And that sounds good. Like I hate using like plugin EQs. <laughs> I hate using like plugin compression. You know what I mean? Like I love just having parallel stuff ready to go because I've already worked so hard to get my source tones that they should sound perfect. All I need to do is to use these, these parallel guys to help restore any uh, impact loss, any depth loss or any detail that is missing, you know? Yeah. that That's actually really, really killer. Thank you for sharing that. Um, That's how I be best friends with audio, you know? <laughs> all right. So you spend the time amping. You get the best possible tones you want, mix yep. ready. Um, yep. And at that point, you start doing your vocals. Yep. So you want the vocalist to, like, have, like, you know, like, they, you want them to feel like a million dollars, basically. Yeah, I want them to sing along with their record. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. As best as um, possible. So do you also get, like, a pre-mix going or do your productions already kind of sound pre-mixed already because you took yeah. so much time yeah they already sound pretty like pre-mixed like uh like for example like when i did like when tom lord algae makes like the new story so far single like i had printed uh an instrumental print from like the end of the day of like reamping uh that was just like okay great like here we go i'll just print this so that we can do vocals on top of it and so like that's all he had to like reference like as my original like mix but even though it wasn't like a mix it's just like control room playback but like even then like the differences between our mixes are like so fucking minimal even after everything he did you know what i mean it's like like it just sounds it sounds like the source material you know what i mean okay i see and okay so as far as vocals go do you have is it a similar thing where you know which vocal mics you like or do you shoot a few yeah out? so it's either it's either my uh, U47 clone that I like had made for me, um, which everyone loves to buy and uh, copy off me. It's so great. Everyone loves my LED mic, so they buy their own. <laughs> so good. I was the first fucking fool to have that fucking LED mic too, everyone. You know, What's robot an L- and fucking... Um, LED mic, what? Yeah, it's like a huge U47, but it's got LEDs in it, so it just looks badass. 
Oh, no, I want to see it's from it. A company, it's uh, from a company called Cathedral Pipes. So, uh, like, it was when the dude was, like, making DIY gear on Gear Sluts. Like, that's why I hit him up because I saw, like, a post on it. I was just like, uh, like, if I'm going to order a mic, I want it to, like, if, if I'm going to spend money on a mic, like, on a U47, like, it tops off for me at, like, $2,000. I won't spend over $2,000 on a fucking nice mic. You know what I mean? That's way too fucking expensive because I get good vocal sounds with an SM7, which is fucking 400 bucks, right? So, mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I'll order a microphone for $2,000 from this guy, and it's going to light up, and it's going to look badass. And so that's, like, my main vocal mic, and it sounds fucking amazing. It's basically, like, it sounds the wow, same it really, as... it really as, does light up. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome, it yeah. So, um... Yeah, so it like it sounds basically as as good as an SM7, but just like glossier and a little thicker and a little brighter. But like I really hate bright vocal mics because I hate sibilance and I hate fucking all that stupid fucking smacky shit. So if they're if they're so bright, then I'll just use the fucking SM7. So and I I also like using the SM7 if I know that I'm gonna have to like overdub vocals like later on. So like the new hundredth record that I just did, like his voice would have sounded amazing on my U47, but we knew that he was going to do vocals at his home and we were only going to get some vocals done here because of the, because we chose to do it that way. So I was like, great, you'll use the same preamp and the same compressor here at my studio with the SM7. And then when you go home, you'll use that exact same fucking chain and then you'll send me those vocals and it'll be perfect, you know? So it's like, uh, uh, it's the difference between an SM7 and a U47 and my U47 is like 2%, you know what I mean? It doesn't even really fucking matter. So uh, either of those two mics are the ones that I, I, I usually gonna, use. I, I was going to say, though, if your U47 sounds 2% away from a SM7B, yeah. then it probably doesn't sound much like an actual U47. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds fucking phenomenal. Let's put it that way. And it's like my it's like my main drum room mic. Like A lot of people will always be like, your drums sound kind of mono because I use so much of that mono room mic because it's like it just it sounds the most accurate it sounds like the thing in the room you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it's extremely like it's good it's it's it doesn't sound like an sm7 but the difference is so minimal at the end of it you know what i mean yeah fair enough um and what about uh do you track the vocalist in the room with you uh so i try to but some some dudes are fucking weird about that you know so but i like the way that my control room is is my window is right next to my fucking like if i just look to my right then it's the window because i fucking i hated when i would work at studios and i have to like look over the computer to look out the window so i prefer to just look that to my right and so see the weird. person yeah so my my window is just to my right so that i can just look through there and the dude is usually standing there so if he's not standing in my room he's standing four feet away from me and there's a wall and a window between us you know what i mean so it's like we're basically together you know so there's really no big difference um, but I like them to be there in the spot because like I don't have to use the talk back. I just fucking I can edit like and uh, do I can have both my hands free all the time, you know. So uh, so basically like you know I'll, I'll get I'll get as many takes as I need to get to like get a good performance. Uh, if I if I can, I'll try to monitor with uh, Auto Tune EFX enabled so that I can make sure that it's like real smooth and like not inconsistent. I'll definitely do all my comping and editing with Auto Tune EFX on. And then I'll fucking consolidate all those, and then I'll send those vocals to our boy Emil to tune for me. Okay, so you get them, so you make sure that they're in the ballpark? Exactly, in the ballpark, yeah, okay. exactly. And and sometimes I prefer to just like print the auto-tune that I did because it sounds totally fine to me. Like I, I want to hear vocals in tune, you know what I mean? I want my vocals to sound tuned because I'm wanting, because the records that I like are the ones that sound that way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
And what's what are the uh, do you have any criteria you're going for in a vocal? Um, consistency. Uh, I mean, there's a good quote from that dude Ku Carell, who's a really good vocal producer. But uh, honesty. The listener always identifies with honesty and passion. So um, I want them to sound. Uh, I want them to sound authentic. You know what I mean? I don't want them to sound like a dude singing in front of a mic. I want it to sound like the vocal performance that the song wanted to have, you know? So like a lot of times I'm just like, come on, man, fucking like quit being a pussy, fucking yell. You know what I mean? Or like, come on, man, like fucking hold it smooth at the end. You know, like I'm like extremely demanding and vocal with like uh, when I'm recording vocals, you know what I mean? So that's why I like to have them in the control room with me because it's just easy to talk back and forth the whole time. Like I remember when I watched the Lamb of God videos when I was like, in high school and I was like, dude, that guy machine is so fucking badass. I love how he's just like so nuts and it's just like, no man, sing it like this. It needs to be like, you know, like just like not being afraid to be that guy. Like I, I yeah. sing just as much as my singers or, you know, like I have a terrible sounding voice, but I can hit notes perfectly and I can demonstrate to people and be like, no, at the end you're waving instead of going like, ah, I need you to go, ah, and just hold it, hold it steady, you know, like shit like that. And like, it's, it's really just like making sure that their vocal performance uh, works inside of autotune's uh, limits. You know what I mean? So it's like, don't be doing weird waving stuff. Don't be doing weird vibratos. Like, make your voice sound as natural as possible as it can with inside of sounding super tuned. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's the Drake effect. It's singing with autotune on, you know? So, and contrary to lots of uh, popular belief, autotune doesn't sound like anything unless you push its limits. Exactly. Like I, I don't want to hear it working. I want the vocal yeah. performance to be so right that I'm not hearing autotune working. And that's how I know I got the right performance. You know what I mean? If I hear it and if it's glitching, it's because the vocal performance is wrong and you cannot make that sound natural when you tune, you know? So it's like, like my, at the end of the day, when I play back my, my vocals and I have autotune, uh, EFX engaged, they sound like perfect vocals in tune you know what i mean and uh vocal line and fucking revoice is real good like i'm all like i'm fucking religious about that shit you know what i mean love it cutting out fucking breaths cutting out all that shit my vocals are fucking pristine you know and uh usually my fucking chain is usually pretty much the exact same it's mic into undertone audio preamp undertone audio preamp into 1176 1176 into la3a that's it nothing else that's I don't a even great use EQ. I, I don't even like people are like, what do you like? What EQ do you use on vocals? I've never, I, I don't use EQ on vocals. I haven't used EQ on vocals. Like, I, I can't even think about it. I can't even think about a time that I was like, my vocal isn't bright enough. Let me turn it up the brightness. You know what I mean? It's like, let me DS this and like get this right. And like, they don't sound, if they sound thin, then I'll saturate some stage of the compression or the preamp to get it to sound thick and glossy and smooth to me, you know? Makes perfect sense. I mean, I find that uh, using harmonics is a great way to EQ things without using EQ anyways. Yep. It's like, you know, you want things to sound thicker or sometimes brighter or whatever. Uh, if you dial distortions in well, yep. you don't even need to use EQ. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's just, I use a different mic, you know what I mean? Or if mm -hmm. I can go into a thicker compressor or like a, a snappier yep. one, you know what I mean? Like, so like that's, I would, I make the choices to make sure that what's coming into the computer sounds good to me. You know what I mean? And like, that's the other thing too, is like, I fucking avoid plugins, like, like the plague. Like if I'm using plugins, like I like them to be stupid things like, like an API 550 EQ or like an L1 or Arvox or like RX, you know what I mean? Or like, like CLA guitars so I can use some effects. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to like, 
set up a bus and like then create a send and and choose how much of my send is going to my bus. Like it's just like I want it to be very fucking simple and very like I did everything I could with all of my external devices to make this sound perfect. Now I need to use some in the box thing to achieve this thing. I want to use the simplest, most dumb version of that so I can get there. Not now, right the fuck now. Okay, that's I like that. I really, really like your uh, philosophy. I wish more people spent the time they needed to to get things right from the uh, just from the get go, yeah. um, and not rely on a later part of the process or somebody else to come in and rescue it. It's always better, totally. Like even if someone else is mixing it as a mixer, it's always better if what you have delivered to you sounds amazing, just faders up. See, that's and that's one of the funny things too is like this is where I started to run into a lot of problems when I was like. Like after, you know, my records started like, you know, doing well and like, you know, you have records like Story out there and then you have records like State Champs and records like Basement and stuff like that. And people are like, dude, I want like, I want Sam to mix my record. And so then I'm like, great, man, like uh, I'll fucking mix like your 10 songs for $6,000. Like that's a great price. And then they send me the most shot fucking material. And then I like do the best I can with the tools that I have in my computer. And then they're like, this doesn't sound anything like the story so far. It's like, no, because what you're referencing is my fucking production. It's not my fucking mixing. My mixing is my engineering. You know what I mean? Like I have engineered my record to play back in my Pro Tools the way I want it to sound. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not relying on any of this software to get my fucking sound. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, uh, I have a few questions here from our audience yes, for please. you. I would Hit like me. to ask you them. Okay, cool. Uh, here goes. First one from Sean O'Shaughnessy. I'd love to hear more details on the gear Sam has made, more info on the cabs and amps along with the pre's and mods done to them, if he can, without giving away his top secrets. Uh, all right. Well, th there is no top secrets. That's great. Yeah. Um, I didn't think there were. So, I mean, uh, so I'm, I got all my all my Cappy preamps um, just have Gar 2520 op amps on them. Those are like my favorite. I think they sound the best. So I just use if I could have if I could have any like one preamp for my studio, it would be the Undertone Audio preamp. That's the best preamp ever. It sounds the best. It's hell expensive, but like my friend Jeremy Worst has eight of them now because I was like, you got to try this preamp. It's great. So. That dude Jason Livermore has like fucking 12 of them or something like that. But uh, anyways, sounds fucking awesome. So uh, Cappy preamps, Autotone Audio preamps, those are my like favorite preamps. As far as like compressors and everything, uh, we made, I made my LA3As, I made my 1176s. Um, my 1176s are a little bit modified. They have like different... Um, they have different caps in there and I did like listening tests to, for like some different brands to see which ones sound best. Um, and so like that's there, it's basically the exact same as everyone else's except I just have like higher quality caps and better sounding shit inside of it. Um, and so then, uh, with like my amps, all my amps are fucking completely original. Uh, the only modification I have is like on my 5150, I have a bias mod on it so that they can bias the tubes. Um, and that's pretty much about it. Everything's pretty much fucking stock. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the only other like super modified shit is like my guitars. Like I don't, I believe like no guitar should cost over $500. So all my guitars are like cheap squires, like cheap fenders, like Mexican fenders or like, you know, really cheap, like Gibson's like 500 bucks Gibson's and shit. And like with super fucking, uh, modified like pots and pickups to be like exactly the best sounding shit with Evertunes on them. So I guess that kind of covers it, right? Yeah, totally. All right, here's one from Miami Dolphin, and that's his real name, by the way. Awesome. First um, name, Miami. Last name, Dolphin. I've seen his driver's license. 
That's so hilarious. Yeah, his parents did actually name him that. So, wow. <laughs> um, what was it like being the sole producer on the story so far as work? Was there a lot of pressure to outdo the previous records every time? Uh, so, it's kind of interesting working with those guys. Uh, so, like, it's first record was like one of the record where like they're just completely new dudes so they listen to everything i say you know what i mean so like everything i said was like applied real smooth process real fucking easy and so then like that record does super well so then we did the second record and then they uh the label was like well we should like you know they're gonna need someone to help them with songwriting and so then uh it's like all right well like you know i can throw out some ideas and stuff like that but then of course I'm I'm just me at this point now. I was like, I'm the guy that they already made their record with. So like my ideas aren't considered like the good ideas anymore. You know what I mean? Like instead, like they're starting to listen to themselves and like are starting to like listen to me less and less. You know what I mean? So like as the processes have, have, has gone on, I've had less like influence on the songs and like the, the performances, like in the creation of like ideas like that. And more so, limited to capturing sounds and doing like the best I can with the scenario that's presenting itself to me. You know what I mean? Whereas like I used to just like fucking completely be like, just come and use my studio. Here we go. But like now it's like, Oh, we, we want to go to a different studio. We want to do this. Like things have become more complicated and like my hands are like more tied and, and what I can actually do. You know what I mean? So like, it's, uh, it's like, I mean, it's not, it's not as ideal as before, but it's still just as fun. You know what I mean? It's just a different process. I mean, you know, I think any time that you're involved with one band for that long, that's kind of, it seems like that's the natural way that things go. Because I've I've talked to some of my other friends who have been like the sole producer for a band's entire career or five out of six records. And and they kind of have said the same thing that like the band, as the band goes along, they become more and more independent in a way. Yeah. Like I, I would say, I would say like on our new, on the new record we're doing, like it's, I would, I would consider it like more so produced by their drummer, uh, Ryan Torf. Like he's, he's like, like one of the main, like his songs that he writes, I fucking love. Like he's just a really good songwriter and his attention to detail is extremely, extremely good. And so like when I'll, I'll be like, I think it should go like this. I will turn to him to make sure that he thinks that's the right idea as opposed to be like, oh, I think that this is how it's going to go. So it should go this way. You know what I mean? Like he's like, he knows what the fuck he's talking about with his songs because he's got a good ear and a good aesthetic you know what I mean and like I value his opinion and his input so like after like before I move on with any decision like I will out of everyone in the band he's the one dude that I will verify that is is stoked on it before I move forward with it you know what I mean yep makes perfect sense all right here's one here's one yes life uh Phil Pluscott is wondering are you his best friend I love Phil Phil's a good guy we love Phil so um Marcos Santana Ruiz is wondering, the chapter of Sam's Creative Live on drum tuning using the Evans Torque key has been the most on point and easy to recreate out of all tuning videos, articles, podcasts I've ever encountered. Is there anything he could add to his already awesome explanation or any new tips? So, hey, can you take something perfect and make it complicated? That, right, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, so funny. No, um, that's cool to hear. I really appreciate that because, like, I've always, I've always been like, I don't know how to tune drums. You know what I mean? So I've wanted to learn how to tune drums, like, like we talked about earlier. But I just figured it the fuck out. I just did what I thought sounded best. You know what I mean? And followed my own fucking ear and my own fucking technique. 
big. Like no one showed me the Evans key. Like I, I found that myself and like created that technique myself. So like basically like just the, the brief overview of how I would tune up a drum set is that uh, I would, I would listen. And this is what I did with the new story so far record. We got really fucking detailed on this. This was actually really fun. Um, so like, it's like, all right, the key of the song is D got it. So, um, you learned this from Eric Valentine cause Eric Valentine's the fucking Dalai Lama of engineering. He's the best. So, uh, you want your kick drum to be your root note. So if it's, if it's in D then you would have, let me pull up, uh, I always have to use my autotune EFX in order cause I'm really bad at theory. So it's like, let me set it to D major right now. Okay. So D would be one, E is two, uh, G sharp is three, G is four, A is five. So I would want to tune my kick to a D, my uh, my rack tom to a G, and my snare to uh, an A. So it would be one, four, and five. That's how you would always do it. And um, the floor tom, I usually try to match with the kick. So they're like both like an octave of each other, but they sound like, they, they probably hit the same octave, but they sound different, obviously, you know? So it's like floor tom is in D, kick is in D, snare is in A, rack tom is in G. So it's like, like it's, a, it's, it's hitting like a fucking octave, you know what I mean? Like if you're playing like a fucking power chord, you know, you got your root, your fourth, and your fifth. Um, right? Is that, that's what a power chord is, right? Root, fourth, fifth? Yes. So, uh, well, no, yes. no, 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 no. Power chord is, is root, root fifth. Root, just root fifth, right? That's yeah, the ar- was, uh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Root fifth and then the octave. So yes. that's that's what a power chord is. Got it. So um, yeah, I, I want my snare to be the fifth and I want my kick to be the root. So I'll tune up the drums and I'll fucking go out there and I'll find the range that works on the drum key. So it'll be like on like the keys that I uh, that I use right now, like the number is different for every single key. So like what number I say doesn't work. You have to like go to the lowest number possible where there is no fucking uh, torque and it's just like flabbing back and forth and then put it on the first one where like it'll click at the lowest uh, torque, right? So then I'll be like, okay, great. Let's check what this floor tom's at. And I'll get it into, I'll be like, okay, great. It works between the numbers seven and nine. Seven is the lowest it can go. Nine is the highest it goes before it goes weird. So then I'll like be like, okay, great. Let me hit it. And it's at a seven right now. And it sounds, yeah, it sounds close to D. If I, what if I go up to an eight? Okay. Like it's obviously way too high. That doesn't work. So then I'll just go back down to the seven and that's going to be the closest possible to the key that I want. And it sounds fine. Great. And I do the same thing with the kick and the snare and everything. I find what range it sounds good at on its own. And then I try to apply those numbers to sound the closest to the key. And so this is where my drumbrella fucking rocks is because once you get the fucking key, uh, once you get the drum tuning, right? So that it sounds like the notes, then you'll be like, great. Now my snare feels thin when I hit it in the room. So then I'll play with the height of my drumbrella until my snare is just popping and feels fucking, it, it feels like it's responding correctly in the room because I've essentially... Uh, change the tuning of the room to accommodate to the tuning of the drum set. Makes perfect sense. Nerd so, shit. So if you really want to get good at tuning drums, build a drumbrella is yeah, what you're so, saying. Well, uh, if you really want to get good at tuning drums, um, learn, uh, like try to do root fourth and fifth for the, the drum tuning and then do the best you can to like like get the drums to sound right for the key of the song. And then if you don't have a drum brella or anything, play with the placement of those drums in the room so that they sound the biggest and then use the drums there, you know? Makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's, that's what I would do if I didn't have my drum brella. Okay, here's one from Tyler Rodriguez, which is recently who's, on the... Who's sitting who's, right next to me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hi, Tyler, I can see so, you. Yeah, yeah. He can't hear me, but I can yeah, see him. Yeah, he can't hear you, yeah. 
<laughs> so funny. Wow, Tyler's on a podcast. He just spoke. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Tyler's URM podcast debut. So um, recently on the latest 100th, you moved from mixing with your usual hybrid setup to predominantly in the box. Was yes. that a difficult or easy transition to make for yourself? Were you missing the use of any analog gear that you could just not find a suitable plug-in equivalent for? Um, so it's slightly a lie. I use my C2 on Mixbus because I use that on everything. Uh, so, but um, the only thing that I wasn't like, so basically, usually what I'll do is um, if I'm mixing, I'll have a, my parallel outboard setup, which would be like distressors set up for drums, uh, LA, uh, LA3A set up for guitars, and then uh, 1176 uh, set up for bass, the black ones, and then my blue stripe set up for vocals. And they're all stereo. So it's like ready to go. They're always patched on my patch bay. I can just like, unmute those tracks and raise them up so it's like all right great i got the guitars that sound great but now like they just don't sound thick enough and they're not cutting through enough raise the la3a track great but instead of using the actual outboard i just copied the exact settings uh and i used a fucking multimeter to make sure that they were the same fucking like decibel range and everything so i made presets of them so that i could do easy recalls and uh it was because like i was working on another record right after that and so i was gonna have to fucking like have to patch things in all the time so i was just like fuck it it's way easier just to have these plugins ready to go and i was eventually gonna switch back over but then when i did it just sounded different and like sounded like i had already like done enough compensation to get like the low end to sound right that if i actually used the the outboard the low end was like totally different it was like even more intense so it was like i had to kind of just commit to using the the plug-in versions of my outboard so i was using like the arouser on drums and like the the cla 3a and cla 76s for my mm -hmm. parallel stuff okay yep um here's one from aaron pace which is I want to know more about his drum parallel processing and how he gets his drum close mic so dope. Sam is the tops. Thank you. What a nice guy. Um, so I, we talked about, like, I talked about how, like, my kick and snare will fool me where I will think they are samples because they're so consistent. You know what I mean? Like, yep. So, like, a lot of people... And I, let me just interrupt you real quick and say that on the records that I've engineered where people have liked the drum sound the most, that... I've gotten the same effect in the studio where I fooled myself into thinking that I have a sample on the snare when I yeah. don't. You turn down the sample and nothing changes. And then you're like, what the yes. fuck? Like, what is this? And then you like, saw so you're like, wow, my close mic just like on its own. It doesn't sound like that, but in the mix, it just sounds like a fucking sample. Like, wow, that's crazy. Like, so, uh, a lot of, um, so a lot of like the impact, that happens on like kick and snare is because I'm doing like a lot of like crazy EQ with the UTA and then uh, it'll be UTA into transient designer, transient designer into distressors. And then that's the kick and snare tones. And like toms uh, are just transient designers with EQ and nothing else on it. Um, and so like I, I mentioned it earlier, but like my parallel processing on drums has like it used to just be like one parallel bus, which was like an 1176, and then eventually I was like tired of that. So then I tried like an API 2500, and then I was like really into that for a while. And then I worked on like another session and I changed it to like uh, I started trying to use like actual outboard stuff and was using like my distressors or like a, a Alesis micro limiter or something like that. And so then like eventually then I'm like I listen to an old record. And I'm like, oh man, that one sounds good. Like I open up the session and it's like just the 1176. So then I would import that track into my template and so now I have uh, literally 
all my close mics have six there's it's all my close mics and then above them in my session it's six parallel drum bus compressors and so it's three of them it's basically like like it's the same track just duplicated twice so it's uh, a send from my kick snare and toms duplicated three times and then a, uh, a send from all of the drums duplicated three times and so that way I can be like, uh, do I want to compress the drum bus or do I want to compress just the parallel? And the way that they're set, like I literally don't even know what the settings are. They're just like, I don't ever open the plugin and look at it. I literally just adjust the master bus that is sending to those channels because I use master faders as well so that mm-hmm. I don't have to fuck with any of my sends. All my sends are at Unity and I use the master to uh, adjust how hard I'm hitting those sends. And so then I'll be like, great, let me raise up the 1176 one. Great, it sounds uh, pumpy and fluffy. Let me raise up the distressor one. Now it sounds snappy and like a little bit more closer. Now let me raise up the uh, Elijah M presser. And now it's like really thick and like really pumpy. And then all three of them together just like work, you know? So like it's uh, for kick and snare, it's like a parallel 1176, parallel distressor and parallel uh, M presser. Then for the full drums, it's parallel distressors. Then it's parallel um, uh, 2500 and then a parallel devil lock. And all of those are like, maybe they will be 50, 50, maybe they will be 20, like uh, some more than the others. Like it's completely different. And I have no idea what they're set to. I'm just uh, fucking pushing faders in front of me until it sounds right. And then I look at my master bus and I'm making sure I look at my compressor to the left and I make sure it's not hitting more than 40 B. And then that's about it. I'm usually like hugging fucking 40 B on my fucking SSL. So I'll just like, as I'm like printing masters, I'll be like pulling down my master fader and like, like pushing up, like pushing up the output. So it's like pulling down and pushing up simultaneously. Like I'm really big about that. Like feathering, like if you're going to pull one down, you pull the output up simultaneously. So there is no volume difference. And I can like hear when it hits the threshold and when like the negative artifacts start to become too overwhelming, you know, man, parallel devil lock is definitely something that I discovered in later years as a yep. uh, secret drum weapon. It's great. Uh, yeah. especially because like I mean lots of drum sounds that I always used to love were using the sure level lock you know what I mean like I was mm-hmm. like oh man that dude Chad Blake is so fucking sick like how do, how do those dr- bad plus drums sound the way that they do oh it's because he's using one mic with a fucking devil lock on it you know yeah it, it's I can't I can't say enough good things about that um, yeah. here's one from Joseph Hewitt I really like the airiness of Sam's overhead and cymbals if you could ask him to run through his process from them, from symbol choice and miking and mixing, that would be sick. Okay, so this is the one thing I wanted to mention about story that I totally forgot. We fucking went through all the symbols and we uh, figured out which what what notes the symbols were. So we made sure our symbols were in the keys of songs as well too. So we'd be like, oh, that hi hat is like a B flat. Like, can you use the other hi hat that sounds more like a B? Great. Like, so uh, I I like. I don't own any cymbals because uh, drummers always fucking break my cymbals. So like, I prefer uh, um, Zildjian K-cymbals because they just sound dark and beautiful and awesome. Um, so, but I think a lot of, I think a lot of what like is happening is that I I don't use gates um, and I like I don't use gates on like kick and snare. I don't use gates on like room mics or anything. And I have uh, lots of parallel going on that you are here. You're physically hearing my room at all times. Like it's so compressed that like you will hear the actual decay and the actual sound of my room. You know what I mean? So like my symbols, they sound like I fi- like I'm always fighting to get the symbols to sound like 
pokey but not harsh you know what i mean like you don't want like them ice picking at you but you want them to be like real fucking nice and real airy so uh i've never been able to get cymbals to sound right unless i'm using them in the parallel compression with my fucking close mics like dudes who who are like i just use close mic parallel compression and that's it i have to have the cymbals go to that compression too so that they're pumping together so it sounds natural to me otherwise it sounds disconnected okay great thank you um Here's another one from Brian Hood. Sam, why is your cat so fucking badass as fuck? Uh, so good. My, <laughs> dude, I wish my cat was actually famous. I, he is, like, everyone says this, like, about their own, like, child or whatever. Like, my child's the cutest. But, like, everyone says this about my cat. I have one of the cutest looking cats ever. And my cat should definitely be more famous than Grumpy Cat. I just took a look at the picture of your cat that Brian posted in our group, and it's a... Uh, it's pretty cute. Yeah, he's cute, man. So I've <laughs> I the thing that I've done recently is it's it's funny. I'm all about like consistency, right? So my Instagram uh, stories, like I'm never like like when Instagram came out the story, it's like I'm not gonna use this shit. I just po- I use Instagram to post a photo. Like I'm not gonna like post some weird video today. Like this is weird. So I only use it to take videos of my cat and that's it. And it's so funny because like so many people will message me and be like, your cat, I fucking love your cat. And so many people message me and are like, great, your fucking cat again. Like you're hella fucking annoying with your fucking cat. Like I'm so (laughs) polarizing. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it's so 50 50 on who loves my cat and who fucking hates my cat. You know, same with me. People who fucking love me and people who hate me, you know, you get hate messages for your cat. Oh yeah. People get annoyed about my cat. Yeah. I, uh, that's weird. Like, yeah, I great. Can't Another cat someone, video. Yeah. Dude, I can't believe that people take their time out of their day yeah. to send you hate about a fucking cat. Right, dude? Because that's the, that's the internet because, for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They can't just close the Instagram story and go to the next one. You know what I mean? And then that's the other thing that people have complained about too is like, I'll post like 10 of them. So then they have to click the right of the screen like 10 times to like exit my story. And they're like, you just post like too many of them. It's like, fuck you, unfollow me then, you know? My fucking cat, who the fuck cares, dude? I'm going to use this technology the way that I want to and I'm going to make my fucking cat famous through the process, okay? <laughs> Your cat deserves every bit of fame that comes his way. Yeah, exactly. He was a straight cat. He wandered into my studio one day, so that's how he's my cat. Wow. So, and you're going to make him famous stuck. Man, it's proof that here in America, dreams can come true. Right, dude, yeah. So here's one from uh, Sean Dorian, which is, how did you get that beautiful smack and delay out of the snare for the story so far, specifically for High Regard? Um, So I think, I'm not sure... uh, there's like three songs, like the whole record is like using my snare and then it has like, then all of a sudden it broke and it sounded weird. So then we switched to another snare. So I can't, I don't know which songs are which, but I'm pretty sure that he's probably referring to my 13 inch, uh, um, Yamaha snare, which, uh, it's funny because I use that on the basement record too. And it's just like, it's so fucking smacky. It sounds fucking huge. And I, um, like, it was funny because, like, I was doing this whole new story record, and it's like, you know, he uses his drum set, and then, like, we'll we'll switch between, like, my snares or his snares, whatever sounds best for the song. And so then, uh, like, the other day when we had to do two new songs, he was just like, yo, can I just use your drum set? I'm like, yes, please, can you? Like, my drum set is dialed. It's ready to go. Like, here we go. And so uh, he walked in, and, like, he was using his, like, his big 14-inch uh, um, Bell Brass SJC snare, which is, like, it's one of our most consistently used snares because, like, it's one that he loves. It's one that I love it sounds fucking huge but it like didn't sound right in the song it just like sounded like too big and didn't sound like 
I mean, just like it just sounded kind of like dull and like not really like quick. So I was like, dude, let's use let's use the 13 inch again. And like the second we hit it, it was just like, man, there's there's our fucking drum sound. Like there's our story so far, drum sound. Like it's just that snare is just so smacky and so quick. And and again, I taped the shit out of it so that when you hit it, it just goes smack, and that's it. No fucking decay, nothing else. So that like and and also like if I were to if I were to mute the close mic you would hear a very minimal change. It wouldn't be like, where did the snare go? Because the snare lives in every fucking mic that I'm like pushing up so hard in my room mics. You know what I mean? Like most of my snare sound is my room sound. It's not the close mic sound, you know? I think that that's actually really, really important key point. And we say this to people a lot, but I feel like, you know, because on now the mix, we do the mix competition every month and uh, mm-hmm. we get over 500 mixes a month submitted. And really, wow. really, I hear all the problems with people's mixes. And every mixer who's ever come on the podcast or now the mix or who I know personally has always said that their snare sound or their drum sound has a lot more to do with the room mics and the overheads than the close mics. Absolutely. And the, I mean, the close mics are definitely important, obviously. Yep. But, uh, but like the big sound, the, de- the decay, like the, yep. the awesomeness, the, the excitement, ju- the, the tone, ju- yeah, yeah, the juice, that's all like in how you blend your rooms with the close. But it's, if you play the close by itself, sometimes it'll just sound like a weird little smack. Absolutely. Um, and I just encourage everybody to just, Listen to what Sam just said about his uh, about his drum sounds and take that more seriously. Like, yeah, and especially now the mix subscribers who get really good room tracks to work with, um, work on those rooms. Yeah, Nolly's a good example of that too. Like a yes. lot of like a lot of his snare sound is that extra room decay. You know what I mean? And like that's where like. When I hear his drum sound, I'm like, that snare sounds fucking great. And what I like about it is the the decay and the ambience, which is what I like about my snares. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh man, his Beta 57 close mic sounds perfect. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not about the close mic at all, you know? Yeah. Okay. And last question. This one's from Patrick Graff, which is, what was the process of designing your studio like the first time around uh, when you renovated a few years ago? What were you looking to change? And how did you accomplish the changes you wanted to sonically? Any tips or pointers for someone looking to build out a space? Okay, so space build out was like a little stressful, a little crazy. I can't even believe like I did Always it. Always is. Like, and did yeah, it take I, way longer than you thought it would? No, actually it was really fucking short. Wow. Um, so I, like when I first got this place, like it was like my seventh studio and I was like, fuck it. Like we're going to fucking build it and we're going to do like what I want to fucking do here, you know? And so I, I got this construction guy to do it and I was like, I, I, I put down my deposit for the, the place and I asked my landlord, I was like, yo, since I'm like uh, filling out, like since I'm putting down the deposit and signing like a five-year lease on this, like, can you give me one free month, like to get the place set up? And she was like, yeah, that's fine. So I was like, great. We got 30 days. Let's fucking build it. And so I remember like walking into the open space and like the dude just being like, all right, man, like, so what do you want? And I was like, I want a big live room here. I want a big control room. And then he just like spray painted the ground and was like, great, this is what we'll do. And then we just built it. And that was, it was it. So like I had like, I had the spaces right. And I did like a couple things like I did one wall that's not parallel to like help my live room so that like that helps with like no standing waves and all that kind of shit right or no flood or echo and shit so um like I made like I I I had been through enough studios where I was like these sizes will like be comfortable for me I'll I'll be able to work in this and so uh um eventually my neighbor moved out of the unit next to us and so then I built the second control room and at this point I was like let me let me hire a guy 
to like design like the acoustic material. Cause all I did before was just like hang 703 on the wall and that was it. And so like the, like, it looks great. I really like the aesthetics. And I was like, great. I want to do the same thing to my room. So let's like, I'm going to redo my room. So that's when I built like the drumbrella and stuff. And like my room tone, like totally improved. My low end, like went through the roof, low end totally increased. Um, and like, that's like the main difference between like, you know, like a story so far record today, as opposed to like a story so far record in the early times or like a basement record. Like the drums have like a lot of harsh top overtone because like there was so much reflection inside of my room because it wasn't super dead. And like now the room like is dead, but it has enough wood and uh and diffusion that like the decay is natural and it sounds really fucking even and really fucking awesome as opposed to like problematic and maybe like unbalanced you know like my room sounds really balanced now i'm impressed by how quickly you got it built by the way thank you because in my experience and everything i know studio build outs take forever always longer than imagined but i guess having that deadline makes all the difference in the world yeah and and also like uh like my one of my friends is building a studio right now and it's just like it's been taking them months and months and like the rooms are small too you know what i mean so it's just like and that's the thing too is like you'll get a big space and you're like yeah man this is gonna be fucking awesome and then you start putting up walls and you're like fuck this room is gonna be much smaller than i thought it was like fuck you know what i mean like because all of a sudden you partitioned it down like three times you know so uh yeah but like so we i mean we got two control rooms here now like my new control room is like way bigger the one that i'm currently in so i kind of like to like use this control room if i'm doing like di guitars or like keyboards and stuff like that and then i really like to use my regular room if i'm using drum and doing reamping and stuff. So I like to switch between my two control rooms and I really like my second live room. My, my second live room is like smaller, but it's like got so much wood in there that it's like, I, I think if Dave Grohl was going to come here and record drums, he would prefer to record drums in the smaller room. That's kind of what I think. It's just like really quick and like really fucking like, re- like all the metal dudes who like do freelance here like love using that room because it's just, it sounds fucking badass. And like the low end is really good. It's really even. Like that's nice. the main thing that I can describe is like all the treatment that I have has made like the frequency content like pretty even throughout. I see. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank best you friendship. so much for coming on here. Yes, best friendship. Thank you. Absolutely. For taking time out of your day. I know that you Absolutely. are a... Uh, always doing stuff, always busy. So thank you so much for taking the time and being so open with our audience. And uh, My pleasure. I hope you, people, being, you being you. I hope people enjoy things and uh, <laughs> go out there and make some fucking good songs that inspire people to make fucking better music and the world a better fucking place, right? That's right. That's right. You well, thanks. I appreciate here. you doing this. All right. Take it easy, dude. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by the 2017 URM Summit, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests, including Andrew Wade, Kane Churko, Billy Decker, Fluff, Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.